What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. See why the government's cracking down. Introducing the two drugs that are legal, alcohol and cigarettes, two drugs that do nothing for you whatsoever. And drugs that grow naturally upon this planet. Drugs that open your eyes up to make you realize how you're being f***ed every day of your life. Those drugs are against love. <laughs> Free Thought Radio, waking you up to the fact that you're being screwed by the system every day of your life since 2010. Welcome to Free Thought Radio, part of the Free Thought Media Network. I am your HOST, Alex Fiddle, founder and journalist of the Free Thought Media Network. Uh, no longer on AM radio because I can't even jump through the loopholes of being producer and journalist and contributor. Uh, I can't just be on the air at all, which is all right. Um, keep it simple on the LRN.FM. Be able to say shit like fuck without getting fined by the fucking FCC that I have nightmares about all the time. Sorry, I'm a free man now. Um, but no, no, uh, it, it's it's uh, completely understandable. I, I've learned so much about uh, radio and aesthetics and professionalism through KKSM, the Radio Revolution. Um has really been an invaluable experience in my life you know just the fact that i'm not just like a journalist and an entertainer um you know this is about change and personal journey as well as a journey for seeing the world and everything like that um so for this kind of holiday episode even though i'm no way a celebrator of christmas um i don't care maybe you guys are so i'll give you something jolly and uh upbeat and heartfelt um to part of that journey um is interviewing some of my favorite people so this is one of my one of the coolest interviews that i've ever done it's with the singer of the turtles knocked the beatles off the charts number one spot with happy together in the 60s and sung for frank zappa and all these like wild movies and stuff like that um his name is howard kalen of the infamous flo and eddie take a look this is a Wayback machine from 2011 enjoy guys I'm here with Howard Kalin. He's the lead singer of the Turtles, Frank Zappa, and the Mothers of Invention, and of course, Flo and Eddie. How are you doing, Howard? Not bad at all, Alex. Not bad at all. It's all good. And uh, first question: uh, How did you uh, first meet Mark Volman, or AKA the Fluorescent Leech? We met in uh, high school. All you aspiring uh, musicians out there, it's as simple as that. We had a garage band in high school. Uh, we stood next to each other, in fact, in a cappella choir, and I was already in a band playing uh, sax. And uh, Mark had heard about it, heard the band, in fact, play at a couple of concerts, and uh, said, hey, you guys are really good. I'd like to join your band. And we said, uh, I said to him in choir, what is it you do exactly? And he said, well, nothing. And I said, well, that's great. That's perfect. That's just what we're looking for. So he fit right in with us. We were total slackers. You got to remember, this is, you know, we lived in a beach town uh, in Los Angeles, about a half a mile from the ocean. 
And uh, every day, most of the school would take off at lunch and just not return. So this was an attitude that was sort of built into us from an early age. And, uh, in fact, he couldn't do anything. Uh, So it was actually great. Uh, He he went to a couple of jobs with us, the first one being like a fraternity party. And he carried the equipment in, and uh, he'd get up on stage every once in a while and try to spin a tambourine and sing obscene lyrics to Louie Louie and What I Say and and the classic R&B stuff like that. And he'd fall down a lot and got drunk and uh, hit on a bunch of chicks. And uh, we thought, this guy's perfect for us. Was that when you guys formed the Turtles? Yeah, it was the same band. It was the same band. In fact, back in the day, we called ourselves the Crossfires. We were a surfing band. We had, the, you know, kind of like Dick Dale music and um, Pulp Fiction. Oh, like nice. kind of stuff. So that's what we were, you know, guitar-based music with like sax solos and we did steps and, and wore suits and stuff. And, and we were still in high school, so we would enter these Battle of the Bands contests as the Crossfires on a weekly basis in our hometown, uh, Redondo Beach, California, on the ocean. And uh, we'd start winning these contests, and they'd bring us back week after week to start facing off against all these local bands. And we, we developed a following among the high school kids in our community because we, we would play anything, we would do anything, we would appear naked or semi-naked, we'd be animal, animal costumes. We didn't care. We, you know, everybody was you know, trying to be serious about their musical careers. And quite frankly, they were all good-looking guys who had $150 haircuts and shit, <laughs> driving Corvettes and stuff. And I had my father's 51 Chevy and shit, and, and we were all fat and porky and, and not exactly the, the most uh, appealing guys on campus. So... I mean, we were actually total dweebs until this band started taking <laughs> off. And then all of a sudden, it was like, what's this? How come there are women? You know, and so there's the lesson there. That's all you got to know if you're thinking about forming a band. That's why you start. I mean, it's not for the money. It's not for the fame. It isn't even for the music. You're lying to yourself. It's for the women. <laughs> so... So that's what we did, and, and as a house band, we earned the the position of house band at this teen club where he kept winning these Battle of the Bands. Uh, as a house band, we would start backing up these artists who would come in week after week, national artists, to promote their records. And we'd have to learn their stuff right away and then do four or five songs of theirs, and then they'd go on to the next teen club and stuff. So we'd learn crap by you know the the artists of the day whether it was you know like the coasters or the or the righteous brothers or dick and dd or any of these oldies artists that would come in you know they weren't oldies artists then they they were having hit records on the radio we would have to learn them real quick and then be chameleons and and learn how to play the crap which served us very very well because we learned how to play all different styles of music, learned how to harmonize behind these guys, even though we weren't really a vocal band. So when the Beatles came along, and then we had to be a vocal band, uh, because everybody was doing British Invasion stuff, you had to cover that if you wanted to work. Um, We put down the saxophones, and we started realizing that, hey, we were a pretty good band if we stick to singing. And... uh, (laughs) So we stick with we stuck with the trends of the time, and we did all the Brit stuff that was happening, and uh, 
interestingly enough, one day in 1964, we went down and saw this brand new group uh, on Sunset Boulevard who called themselves the Birds, and, and we thought they were really great. And the stuff they were doing was a lot like the stuff we'd been listening to in high school, not the stuff we were playing on stage, but the stuff we were listening to, which was folk music. It was the Kingston Trio, and it was uh, Bud and Travis, and it was Limelighters, and, and like early 60s, um, you know, it was kind of the antidote to all the Bobbies and Jimmies and Frankies that were on the pop charts, you know, that were, you know, puke-inducing. So the only... <laughs> The only thing that wasn't was the shit that the college kids were listening to, and they were listening to folk music and wearing short sleeve, you know, button-down striped shirts and, and duck pants and stuff. And it was like, what the? But the music was great. It was we didn't know it, but it was you know stuff that Dylan was writing. It was Peter Paul and Mary. It was blowing in the wind. It was that kind of crap, and it was really really interesting lyrically, and it was not very challenging musically. So it was great for our guitar players because you know they could play like four chords. So it worked out perfectly well as a high school acoustic band we had assembled a group called the crosswind singers everybody knew we were the crossfires as a band so as a crosswind singers i had been writing kind of like folky stuff and uh we'd never merged the two that stayed separate and the crossfires were always separate as well but one day playing at this rebel air club uh, our weekend gig uh, which was paying us, by the way, $125 a night, which we split six ways, and we were there for like five sets. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't very lucrative, but we didn't know any better, and like I said, it did bring around the women. And, uh, and one of these two clowns came around and said, hey, we like the way you were doing this birds thing, uh, that you know, brand-new birds thing. We had gone out and bought a 12-string guitar because we heard that you know something in there that, that reeked of future. And uh, and these record company suits said, uh, you got anything else? And we said, oh, hell yeah, we didn't, but, you know, we, we just figured we'd lie. <laughs> and they said, well, let's go into the studio and we'll record you guys. Uh, do you guys have a, a name? Well, we're the Crossfires and not for long, you're not. So uh, we signed with these guys. We were like 17. Uh, we'd been out of high school for maybe, uh, in my case, six months. In Mark's case, only like two or three. And uh, I had gone to UCLA, but I hated it. And the only stuff I really liked was being a disc jockey on the radio there. And I knew my future was not in pre-law. And that's what I was doing at UCLA, sort of a across-the-road, you know, liberal arts, I-don't-know-what-I'm-doing program. Yeah, it sounds a lot like but me. I'm a radio host like in college right now. There you go. You're in the same boat that I was. You know, you're basically undeclared because there's no future in what you're about to do. Mm -hmm. So you're you're stepping off the same precipice that I was. And when I came home for lunch one afternoon, decided that I had enough of this shit, um, and I told my dad uh, that I wasn't going back to school. He said, "What are you talking about? You know, it was we got the old." post-war, your mother and I worked enslaved for you, you know, you're the first one that gets to go to college, how dare you do this to us, you know, it's like a, a personal family betrayal. Uh, I said, look, man, I'm not going to be unreasonable about this, but I really think that is my future, and I'll tell you this, if I don't have a hit record, not just a record, but if I don't have a hit record in six months, 
I will go back to school and pick up right where I left off. Four months later, it ain't me, babe came out, and I bought them. Uh, I bought them a color TV and a trip to Hawaii, and I never heard anything else about my career choice being wrong. Very supportive after that. Talk about uh, uh, the career after that. From like how, how you guys chose the name the Turtles uh, after after they said you know you can't choose Crossfires and uh, up up until uh, the disbandment of the Turtles, the initial uh, disbandment. That's a long time, but I'll try to encapsulate it here. Right. So um, uh, when we signed this record deal, the guys who had formed the label said that, uh, you know, Crossfires wasn't really a name that fit the sound that they pictured for us, which was a lot folkier. And uh, and then the, uh, the manager of the nightclub, who was also a disc jockey in Los Angeles, said, I've got the perfect name for you guys. It's been knocking around my head for months. And we said, okay, we were ready for this heaviness to hit and this fantastic revelation. And when he said the turtles, we just, we couldn't believe it. We just we started laughing. I mean, it was laughing because crying would have been the only other option. And we said, you've got to be joking. That's the stupidest <laughs> name we ever heard. Why would you ever, ever name a band that? And he said, look, first of all, you've got to remember, you know, in a minute it's going to be 1965. We're talking about the British invasion. Everything out there has an animal name. Beatles, T-L-E-S ending. Turtles, T-L-E-S ending. You're on a brand new label. Well, the Beatles were releasing product on all these different labels before they settled on Capitol. And the British records were coming out on labels that had never had a release before and becoming big hits. We were starting out on a label that had never released anything before. So it was largely assumed by management and, and record company uh, as well that a British-sounding name on a brand-new label would be perceived as an English group, which it was. And it ain't me, babe. Uh, when we went out to tour it for the first six months or so, all the posters said, live from England, the Turtles. It ain't me, babe. <laughs> <laughs> we would have to go into some of these places where they were convinced that we were British, and even though we would tell them, no, we're not, man, we're from California, honest to God, they'd go, no, no, you're British. we go, right, <laughs> and bring us around a pot of white tea, and then we'd fake accents, and we'd do anything they wanted us to do just to get the check. You know, but it, it it paved the way, and after a while, we didn't have to pretend we were British. We had a, a few hits in the folk rock realm, and then we really figured out uh, along the way that we, you know, what were we protesting? We were white middle class kids from a beach town in California, and protesting wasn't going to get us very far because we really, you know, had nothing to mouth off about. So we went to New York on a on a trip on a concert uh, tour and we were in town um, playing at a nightclub called the phone booth there and uh, we went to Greenwich Village just as tourists and we stopped into this club and we saw this band perform for the first time in 66 the love and spoonful and we went oh my god this is what we should be doing because look at the fun these guys are having, man. They're cracking up on stage. The music is making everybody feel good. It's happy time. It's not this depressing war shit. It's not even destruction for God's sakes. You know, it's not flag burning. It's not give me an F. It's, it's different, you know? And so we made up our minds then and there that we wanted to become uh, a good time music 
band instead of a folk rock music band. We told this to our label. They thought we were out of our minds. And we said, we don't care, frankly, what you think. Um, we're going to make this kind of music from now on. And since we were the only act that they had, really, uh, that was having hits regularly, um, they agreed. Uh, we found a terrific song um, that somehow or other came through the offices of the Love and Spoonful. And uh, we signed a contract, or rather they signed a contract with the Love and Spoonful production company. And uh, we started making records, the first of which was a song written by Gary Bonner and Alan Gordon called Happy Together, which everybody and their mother passed on. <laughs> Every group that heard the song passed on it. They said, we don't, what is that? That's not rock and roll. What, what kind of music is that? That's not a hit. Whereas we heard it and said, oh my God, this is a number one record if we do this right. So we said, we'll take it. And we took it out on the road with us and uh, we had a, a hold on it with the publishing company. And uh, we worked it for eight months and we figured out the arrangement and we got the vocals right. And by the time we crawled ourselves out of the studio in like February or March of uh, 1967, we knew absolutely that not only was it going to be a hit record, that it was going to be a number one hit record. There was no doubt in anybody's mind. And it, it, uh, it didn't really blow our minds. It just was incredible to watch it climb the charts and just, you know, beat out Penny Lane and just sit there in the number one position. And from that point on, things for the Turtles changed radically. We weren't a garage band anymore. Now we were doing the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, now we were hobnobbing Johnny Carson, and we were doing the Jerry Lewis telethons, and we were hanging out with, you know, um, real rock stars and playing at festivals and uh, uh, even being acknowledged by Rolling Stone when they finally came along, which was unheard of for a band that was not really an album band. We were a band that made pop hit records. So when FM radio came along and the music scene changed, even though the Turtles had followed up Happy Together with literally six more hits, um, it didn't really matter. In 1970, after uh, we played the White House and stuff, uh, the writing was on the wall, and we could kind of see that this happy-go-lucky stuff was not going to last very long. We wanted to be taken more seriously. The last Turtles album that we did was uh, Turtle Soup. It was produced by Ray Davies from the Kinks. Uh, we loved the Kinks. We loved, uh, you know, all the way back from the British invasion. But at that time, they'd had a, a wonderful album out called Village Green Preservation Society, and Ray Davies was a god to us. And so we literally just picked up the phone and called him and said, Hi, man, you don't know us. We got your number from the Beatles guy, Derek Taylor. And uh, we decided to give you a call. Ever heard of us? Yeah, I know who you guys are. Want to produce us? Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So we flew to L.A. and produced the last Turtles album. And then the band broke up. Um, it was because uh, internal problems with the members. Uh, the record company uh, didn't like the album that we were about to deliver to them. They actually locked us out of the studio. Oh. Uh, sued them. They sued us. Uh, we couldn't use the name Turtles or the names Mark and Howard for many, many years. So my partner, Mark Volman, and myself didn't really know what to do. But 
our confusion didn't last very long. We were offered a couple of things in the interim. Uh, this is 1970, right after you showed me, was a number one record. Uh, and we had no band and no label, and we couldn't record or sign with anybody. Uh, we were offered to do the lead parts in the L.A. production of the Broadway show Hair, which would have been totally stupid. Um, <laughs> I was offered a job to sing lead in an up-and-coming band called Steely Dan, but they were jazz-oriented and kind of creepy, and uh, <laughs> and it, it wasn't the kind of thing that Mark and I could do together mm-hmm. and maintain any sort of a partnership, and, and they also didn't have a sense of humor. And uh, one night, literally no more than two weeks after the, the band had broken up and our lawyers told us how stupid we were, <laughs> Uh, we went to a concert that Frank Zappa did in Los Angeles at UCLA's Poly Pavilion with the original Mothers of Invention from the Freak Out days uh, in 1964 and 5, uh, reformed um, and performing with the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra. It was just amazing. Nice. And, uh, we'd, we'd known Frank forever, and we went backstage, and we said, hi, man, that was incredible. And he said, so the Turtles broke up, huh? Yeah, how'd you hear? Everybody knows everything in Hollywood. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, listen, I'm putting a new band together. It's going to be a new Mothers of Invention. I'm going to England. We're going there. We're playing like 30 dates. We're going to make a movie and a, and a bunch of albums. Want to be in the band? We said, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> so we rehearsed intensely for uh, 10 days. And we went over to England, and the first show we played was the Bath Music Festival, 500,000 people, and uh, everybody was on that show. I mean, every British, everybody from Led Zeppelin to The Who to Hendrix to everybody was on that show. And it was just amazing, and we sort of, without thinking about it, made the transition from AM pop records into records that couldn't even be played on the radio. They were so damned underground. Um, And all of a sudden we had instant street cred and the people that doubted us when we came into the mothers of invention, you know, going, you know, what Zappa, you're going to put these two clowns from the turtles in your van. The lame thing is that. And we rolled with it because we know that's, that's, you know, it's a novelty. It was a novelty at the time, too. It just lasted for a couple of years, and we had a real good run and, and made 200 motels, the movie, and uh, a whole lot of money and uh, European success and, and a lot of good friends that um, still we have today. So we couldn't use our real names, and uh, Frank wanted to know what we wanted to call ourselves, and we had had two road managers in the Turtles, and one was very flamboyant. Uh, to the point where we called him the fluorescent leech because he just kept bumming cigarettes and never paying anybody back. <laughs> and the guy was a, there's a, always one. Uh, the other guy was a clown who was uh, named Dennis Jones who went on to manage a group called Poco, but um, at the time he was just very collegiate and clean cut, and he looked more like an Eddie than a Dennis. <laughs> so we nicknamed those guys Fluorescent Leech and Eddie, and when uh, Frank heard that, he just burst out laughing. And uh, to know, the thing to know about the late Mr. Zappa was that on stage or off, it wasn't ever about pleasing the audience, it was about pleasing Mr. Zappa. If you made him laugh, that was funny, and that's all you needed to know. So, uh, we joined the Mothers, and we stayed in that band for two and a half years or so until uh, Frank got pushed off the stage uh, 
in London and uh, was incapacitated and the band broke up and uh, there was never to be another Mothers of Invention. The band was to be called Zappa or Grandma Zoo or Hot Rats or whatever Frank decided to call his later incarnations. And we finally settled our lawsuit uh, at the end of all of this Flo and Eddie nonsense after, uh, after a couple of albums on Warner Brothers and a couple of albums on Columbia. Uh, we were able to get the Turtles name back and lease it out. Uh, in fact, because we won that lawsuit, and I think if anybody cares, the difference between the Turtles and the other 60s bands that you still may hear on the radio is that Mark and I, uh, as a partnership, own everything that the Turtles ever did. Mm-hmm. So anytime it's uh, Happy Together or Eleanor or any of those songs is used in a movie or a television show or like you know Shrek or yeah. The Simpsons or, or anything like that, we get paid. Uh, we nice. get paid for the master, and we get paid for owning the song, and we get paid for, I mean, it's really been a blessing. And it's enabled us, as well as having a backlog of hits, uh, to do a whole bunch of great things in our career. Um, not just the hit records, but, you know, writing for kids. Uh, back in the 80s, we did all the music uh, for Strawberry Shortcake and nice. for the Care Bears <laughs> and for G.I. Joe. And, uh, I mean, you you take what you can get, you know, and, and uh, we did a lot of, God, years and years and years of on-air radio work um, in Los Angeles and in New York City uh, on a daily basis uh, after the Howard Stern show on K-Rock. Um, nice. And uh, all of those things were terrific, and they still go on uh, to this day. Uh, I put out a solo album about three years ago called Dust Bunnies and a movie that came out called My Dinner with Jimmy about a legendary night I had with uh, the late Mr. Hendricks back in 1967. I'm right in the middle as we speak of writing a, an autobiography that's coming out in August of 2012 uh, called The Voice of the Turtle. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going on tour um, in June, July, and August with Happy Together. Uh, this is the second or third year we're doing that tour. Prior to that, we did a tour called the Hippie Fest. And in July, to put the frosting on the cake, we will be joining Dweezil Zappa nice. for Dweezilla. Dweezilla, his event, uh, his kind of a summer camp event in the Catskills that will proceed, I believe, a run that may carry us into next year, uh, working some with uh, Zappa Play Zappa as well as the Turtles. Nice. That is awesome. Uh, so there we are. That's, that's, that's me, Alex. That's what I do. And uh, how, how was it uh, working for Zappa? Because uh, I know he released multiple works within a year's time uh, pretty often. It was it was wonderful. Uh, anybody who says it wasn't is a liar or sour grapes or they didn't you know they don't think they got paid enough for their contribution. But we understood. A, you heard the story, so you know he practically saved our lives. And B, when you joined Frank, uh, as as it is true, I think with any genius that you fall in with, and and Frank certainly was in that category. Um, he he kind of rents you. I mean, he, he owns your time. Um, we knew when we joined the Mothers that it was a kind of a collaborative effort and that just because it said it was written by Zappa did not mean that you weren't sort of asked to um, contribute to the folklore. 
that Frank was basing his music around. So often we would say things in conversation and then a day later we'd see the very same words written back to us as song lyric and we would have to learn the songs that Frank wrote using our words. He recorded every conversation we ever had and a lot of the songs, for instance, when Jeff Simmons left the group just before 200 Motels and it was a huge deal. Um, walking out on that movie, uh, it was because of a tape that Jeff had made saying, you know, Frank's old, man. He should get out of the business. We should be playing blues stuff, <laughs> real music, not this comedy shit, you know. And Frank heard that, and uh, rather than get mad at yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's that's the exact tape that was the basis for Dental Hygiene Dilemma. And, and instead of getting mad at Jeff Simmons, Frank virtually wrote the movie around Jeff Simmons. And when Jeff saw the words coming back at him in a script, he freaked out. And this was in London two days before we were about to start shooting the movie. Jeff read the script, and his wife at the time was with him, a real bitch. And, uh, and she said, oh, Jeff, you can't say that stuff. And and uh, Jeff said to Frank, Frank, she's right. I can't say this stuff on screen. And Frank said, but Jeff, these are your words. This is the very stuff that you actually said three days ago. You said this is from your mouth. I don't care. I can't say it. I'm going to go back to Seattle and play the blues. Which is what he did, by the way, and I am co-producing Jeff Simmons' new album, which is uh, coming coming out later this year. Yeah, he's a great guy. When I moved back to Seattle, we kind of hooked up again. And we've been working on this album, and it is kind of blues. Uh, he's kind of right where he was in the 200 Motels pocket, but it's got a little more humor to it, and uh, it sounds real good. Yeah, that explains uh, Martin Lakert's obsession with uh, playing the blues in that movie. That's a direct quote from Jeff. We want blues, blues extensions. You know, every every time Preston would ask Jeff Simmons about playing the blues, that you know they'd always schedule a jam session that never happened. So, all of that movie is based on the folklore and the the, the basis of it. Uh, see, we never got to shoot the ending of that movie. We ran out of time. So the last day of it was never completed. Had we shot the last day, it would have been me as the pop star and Mark in the wig as the groupie in a penis-shaped, called the tinsel cock car is what it was, (laughs) uh, a a car that was pushed by stagehands. And in that car, we delivered the lines uh, that wound up being on the White Fillmore album. So it's, do you like my new car? Oh, yeah, it's great, honey. So it picks up right there. It was all to be filmed, and that's the way the movie was to end. The movie was going to end with Happy Together. Oh, nice. However, it didn't get shot, so that wound up being the White Fillmore album instead. Frank made up a new finale uh, song to be the ending because we didn't have time to shoot anything else. And that's why 200 Motels finishes so abruptly and without conclusion of any sort. Mm -hmm. It just ends. Perfect transition because I wanted to take a real quick break, if you could say uh, after the break. Uh, I want to play Do You Like My New Car and Happy Together from the... Fillmore East, June 1971 album from Frank Zappa. Um, here with Howard Kalen. We'll be right back after the break. 
seriously, I'm telling you, this is the first time that any of my girlfriends and I have ever met anybody really from Hollywood. I mean, really, my girlfriend Jim and Ian and Ainsley and Bob and Frank, I mean, None of us, we've never, you. we've never met a pop star from Hollywood. Tell me something, have you ever met Davy Jones or, no. or Bobby Sherman? No. I mean, David Cassidy, he's no. so... Jimmy Greenspoon at once. Three Dog Night? Yeah. Oh, I love that. They're my favorite band. Oh, God. Oh, do you like my new car? I mean, my dad just gave it to me for graduation. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a Fillmore, isn't it? Real futuristic. I, I dig the fins. Listen, do you know how to get to the uh, Holiday Inn from here? No, uh, which one is it? Excuse me, it's, it's, it's the one by the airport, you know, because we gotta, we gotta get up early and fly out of here in the morning, you know? Oh, oh I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. where, where do you guys play tomorrow night? I mean, I'd like to come maybe in your bus or something. Yeah? Come in the bus, huh? Tomorrow we're in, uh, let's see, Tierra del Fuego. Oh, you're so professional, Howie. Oh, Howie, I mean, I mean, the way you're getting to play in all these exotic places. I mean, yeah. tell me something. Tell me and all my girls. Tell me, do you really have a hit record on the charts now with a bullet? <clears throat> I mean, that's really important. Listen, honey. Would I lie to you just to... Get in your pants. Hey, listen. Hey, listen to me. Tell, we are not groupies. No, I never, I never said that. We're not groupies. No, you better understand that. I told Robert Planet. I told Elton John. I told all those big guys. We are not groupies. No, I never. Roger Daltrey never no, laid I a hand on me. I, obvious to see why. Listen, I never. How and my, tell him, tell him right we now. Only, we only like musicians for friends. You know? Real straight arrow, Howie. Really? Just for friends, Howie. But we still like you. Yeah, we wouldn't mind coming in your bus, but... <laughs> I mean, we still want what? to hear your record. Listen, you chicks. Now, didn't, didn't you just say that you got off being juked with a baby octopus and spewed upon with cream corn? And then your hair lip dyko bass playing girlfriend in the backseat had to have it with a Yoo-Hoo bottle or she went ape shit. Oh. What's the deal, Howie, baby? Come Howie, on. listen to me. All that's true. Come on, come I on. swear, Sorry, all yeah. that's true. And sometimes I even dig it with a Dr. Brown's cream soda oh, or celery. But we are not groupies. No uh, matter what you think, no, I we know. are not groupies. You see, there seems to be some kind of a communications problem, honey, because I... I'm a lonely guy from out of town, you know, and I, I want some action. What, what I'm talking about is I want a, a, a steaming, succulent, ever-widening, gooey, drippy, runny kind of a hole with, with, how should I put this? Let's say we hop in the trunk of your gremlin and get our rocks off. Very I'm agile, Howie, very band. agile. I am in this band, no matter what we do up here. Now listen, it just so happens, yeah. tonight, me and my girlfriends, I mean, we've all come here for one thing tonight, yeah. looking for a guy. And we're looking for a guy from a group. Ah! But he's gotta have a dick. Ah! And he's gotta have a dick that's a monster! Ah!
Manhattan Island clit. Spades in Manhattan Island. Take me, I'm yours, you whole. Fulfill my wildest dreams. Oh, anything for you, my most seductive, seclusive pop star of a man. Yeah. Picture this if you can. Oh. Bead jobs, oh. knotted nylons, oh. bamboo canes, oh. three unreleased recordings of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young fighting in the dressing room at the Fillmore East. Oh. One enchilada wrapped with pickle sauce, shoved up and down in between a donkey's legs until he can't stand it anymore. All this and more, Howie, including an electric cooled pony harness with fuel injection, fuel injection, fuel injection. Oh, my God, I, I, I can't stand it. I mean, I mean, do you understand the implications of what I'm saying? I, I can't stand it.
thank you very much for coming to our concert tonight. I know that... Uh, <clears throat> in a way, it's sad that Bill Graham is closing down the Fillmore, but uh, I'm sure he'll get into something better. It's been lovely working for you this evening. Good night. Free Thought Media Network is supported by Hippie Butter Hemp Seed Products. Through their affiliate program, the Hippie Butter banner at freethoughtmedia.org contains a link that allows a portion of your sales to support this show. Hippie Butter is 100% organic hemp seed food and skincare products. Hemp is not cannabis and contains no psychoactive THC, cannot get you high, and will not appear on any drug test. Hemp seed butter is a whole food soft meal for babies. Hemp seeds are a 100% organic, raw, and non-GMO source of proteins, omega fatty acids, and trace minerals. Our special hippie link can be found at freethoughtmedia.org. When they point the finger at you, brother man, this is what you gotta tell them. I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. The lawmakers, the politicians, the Colombian drug lords, all you who lobby against making drugs legal, just like you did with alcohol during the prohibition. You're the one who's guilty. I mean, come on, let's kick the ballistics here. Ain't no Uzis made in Harlem. Not one of us in here owns a poppy feed. This thing is bigger than immortal technique. This is big business. This is the American way. Free Thought Radio. Independent music, independent talk, and independent minds. Freethoughtmedia.org. I'm back with uh, Howard Kalin, lead singer of the Turtles, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, and, of course, Flo and Eddie. Uh, when did you guys start working on Flo and Eddie material after uh, the Mothers disbanded? Well, the good thing about being in the mothers besides uh, the exposure that we got was the fact that it led us into a, a new area for us, and that was singing backgrounds. Uh, when we were making 200 Motels, the movie, uh, we went to, uh, we were in London rehearsing. Uh, we knew where this guy was, this guy that we had seen uh, briefly in uh, Detroit and met on the road and was a big fan of, uh, we were a big fan of his, that is to say, uh, Mark Bolin and his band at the time called Tyrannosaurus Rex. When we went to London, we looked him up, literally shouting his name as we walked down a busy street until he <laughs> opened up the window and said, what are you doing? And we said, we found you, man, we found you. And uh, he asked us to come up. We started hanging out with Mark Boland very seriously uh, in 1971 and wound up singing on a bunch of his records, not the least successful of which was Bang a Gong, Get It On, and everything subsequently uh, to that. Uh, we sang on four of Mark's 
records and sang with him in person and got to know him very, very well. Well, that brought on a spate of work. And uh, if you Google us, in fact, or look up our discography, uh, it's it, far too many and, and lengthy to mention here. But we wound up singing on backgrounds uh, on everybody's records that made a record in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Um, you can find Flo and Eddie pretty much anywhere. That's us singing on Hungry Heart with Springsteen. Uh, we're doing um, Psychedelic Furs, Love My Way, and that entire Forever Now album. Uh, we're singing with, hey, new Hall of Famer, Darlene Love. Uh, we made records with the Ramones, uh, with Duran Duran. Um, Blondie, uh, God, literally 100, maybe 150 artists. Uh, you have to go to the Turtles website and look at the discography and just go, I can't believe that. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty, it was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, now that Mark and I are living in different cities, it doesn't come up very often. Uh, Mark's in Nashville, I'm in Seattle. So uh, the only times we do get together is when someone has the foresight to say, hey, do you want to sing like in a concert or something? And the last time we did that was this past October uh, when we sang uh, at Carnegie Hall with you, too. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, and how did the Flo and Eddie TV show come to be? Because I saw a couple of clips on YouTube. Uh, any chance of that even being released on like DVD or Hulu, anything like that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. CBS owns, uh, there were three uh, shows that uh, that aired as sort of specials on CBS in New York um, and got syndicated across the country as the Flo and Eddie show. And, uh, and since then, and we did some other pilots as well. We did a show called Rock Souffle uh, with Paul Schaefer, and we did a couple of other um, random projects. Everybody seems to think that we're uh, the next big TV thing, but we never did. Uh, you know, I don't think so. Uh, I don't mind being behind the scenes. We did a lot of writing for TV, and in fact, we're uh, on the staff at uh, Miss Universe for like three and a half, four years. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, well, that was a you know another strange sort of uh, horizontal move to make. It wasn't exactly you know career propelling. Uh, but it was something to do, and it was really an unusual experience. And uh, if you can't make a lot of money or propel yourself, you might as well do something that is really damned interesting. <laughs> and if it, if it involves beautiful women, hey, man. Yeah, definitely. You know, so that was, yeah, that was a good time, good time all around. Yeah, but you do what you can. It's show business, and as you'll learn, Alex, it, it, it will pay your check or it won't. You know, and if you've made the commitment to stick with it, uh, then it doesn't matter to you if it pays your check because you're going to stay with it because you've got the love of it. If you don't, if this is a casual thing for you and you really want to be an architect uh, or something else, then, you know, you'll run out of steam fairly soon and you'll know it first. But if you've got it in you. There's no business like show business. Well, that's right. And there's no business like show business if you're thinking about a pension or a 401k or anything that has an actual future. Uh, You just have to think about the glorious times you can have uh, and the memories you can make and not so much worry about the future. It really is sort of a live-for-today proposition. Uh, You'll never get these memories doing anything else, you know, fit and pipe 
or you know plowing fields, uh, which is not to say they're not as worthy and, and maybe a lot more wonderful for the community and for the planet than being a, a lowly musician is. <laughs> but but as a lowly musician, you see things that people don't normally see. You get to meet people that people you know don't normally get to meet, and you get to you know do some incredible things. On stage at the Fillmore East, I had the pleasure with John Lennon and Yoko Ono of, of placing Yoko Ono in a burlap sack, <laughs> where she where she sang for the entire rest of the concert. Now, come on, man. That's not going to come along if you're in the ROTC or something. It's just not. You know, you got to make a commitment to do show business if you want a moment like that. You know, that's all I'm saying is that I wouldn't trade, you know, any pension and any 401k for the times that I've already spent on this planet. And uh, talk a bit about the short stories you've written. It's a hobby. It's a hobby for me. Short stories are a hobby. Science fiction and fantasy and horror, particularly horror, uh, have interested me, uh, especially since the 80s. I mean, I grew up with the Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and, and, and reading Ray Bradbury and stuff like that. But I didn't really get serious until the 1980s when I realized I could blow as much money on first edition books as I had on dope. <laughs> and uh, I think that really kind of turned me around, and I realized that uh, the dope would be gone in five minutes, but the books would last forever. Mm. And uh, since that time, I've, I've done a pretty good job of collecting books and sort of getting ensconced in the um, in the writing community a little bit. You know, celebrities to me are guys like uh, Dean Koontz and Harlan Ellison and, and, you know, the Ray Bradbury's of the world, Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, these, these people that, you know, have imaginations who put pen to paper and, and made their words, you know, inspirational to generations and that stuff. That's the stuff of superstars. So I started going to sci-fi and fantasy conventions and, and uh, meeting various people, uh, writers and editors, and they would all encourage me to write something. You know, if I was so damned interested in the field, why didn't I write something? So I wound up writing two short stories, and I sent them both off to two separate editors, and they both got published in anthology mag uh, books, rather. And that was it for me. It was kind of like, okay, I did that. That was good. I, I don't really think I'm good enough to go on as an author of short stories or novels, so I kind of, as an experiment, just wanted to see if it would work. Uh, it led me into the confidence um, that I needed to write that movie, though, I'll tell you that, and it's given me the confidence to go ahead with this autobiography. So if nothing else, those short stories, you know, taught me how to be a better writer. And real quick before the next question, uh, speaking about dope, is it true that Frank Zappa never did drugs? It's largely true mm -hmm. uh, that Frank Zappa uh, seldom did drugs. All right, and uh, also uh, uh, speaking about horror, are you, are you a fan of uh, Italian horror by any chance? Oh yes, sir. Uh, if you're talking about you know like Argento, uh, Dario, Argento. Argento. oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I you know I had that stuff on VHS tapes before it was available on DVD nice. or any other format. And uh, my God, the first time that I showed an audience, you know, any of those movies, they just 
you know, you sit you sit anybody down with Suspiria and get a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I figure I figure that separates the men from the boys. It also tells you a lot about girls you're about to date if they can sit through that movie. And not, I sit some of my friends down and have them watch uh, 200 Motels sometimes, too. <laughs> That's a good test as well, man. That'll separate the real men. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm a huge fan of Italian horror. I, I wish there was more of it. I was so thrilled when uh, when Argento completed that trilogy, though, that it, uh, you know, Mother of Tears, stuff that my fan, uh, thanks for pulling this all together. I thought the guy would not make it. You know, I thought he'd leave the planet before he would get to finish that trilogy of films, but uh, he didn't. It was great. Uh, he used to be respected and revered. Last question. Uh, uh, go into more specific detail about uh, my dinner with Jimmy. Uh, I went to England, uh, a, a newbie, uh, actually. I mean, we had had four or five hit records in the States, but... Uh, in England, uh, the guys who would have been our peers in America seemed bigger than life. They were really kind of gods because of the distance, because of the accent, because of the clothing, because it was British invasion and we weren't. Uh, so there was a lot of country envy going on there. And uh, the first night uh, in England, uh, before we'd even gotten to unpack our clothes, I'd gotten a phone call. Uh, from Graham Nash to come over to his house. Uh, I brought the entire group with me. Um, it was uh, us and Graham and Donovan, and uh, Graham Nash played uh, Sergeant Pepper for us uh, for the first time. Was it Sergeant Pepper? It wasn't even. It was. Uh, no, no, sir. It wasn't a revolver. It was Sergeant Pepper. And that was before, uh, before and, it came uh, out, even. It was just before it came out. Yeah, it was in 1967, and uh, no one had heard it yet. It uh, was about to come out, but it hadn't yet. So he was playing this off this seven and a half inch tape, and we were all listening to uh, uh, headphones, and it was just fucking magnificent. And uh, from there, when we just thought we couldn't get any more of a buzz on, he brought us to the Speakeasy, which was this private club in London uh, that was famous at the time for just being where the rockers went after hours. It was already hella late, but uh, we went to the club anyway. And uh, among other people, we uh, bumped into the Beatles for the first time, had a, a rather strange encounter uh, with John Lennon, uh, the first time I'd ever met the guy. Uh, he came down real hard on uh, on one of our guys, the rhythm player in our band. Uh, and even though it was in a very satirical John Lennon way, it wasn't perceived that way um, by the rhythm guitar player, particularly, who got all weird about it and just, you know, freaked out that his idol was calling him names <laughs> and, uh, and left the club and quit music and never returned. So we were never... <laughs> Never, we were never a six-piece band again. After that night, he went home. Uh, we never replaced him. Uh, and as the rest of the guys kind of filtered back to the hotel, I didn't want the night to end. I just thought, this is too cool. This is never going to happen to me again. I'm never going to be in the same club with the Beatles and the Stones and all these guys. And 
you know, rumors that Clapton was going to perform and, and all this stuff. And it was, you know, going to be a golden moment if I didn't go back to the hotel. But I was lonely and I was sort of angry at the Lennon thing and I was really frustrated. And uh, and Brian Jones stopped me from out of the blue and surprised, scared the hell out of me, quite frankly, um, asking for my autograph. I thought it was, you know, what, Candid Camera was being punked or something. <laughs> But he was real serious. He's a real. He was a real Californian collector, and he loved all of that stuff: Beach Boys and Mamas and Papas and all the harmony bands. And, and he was eating dinner with this guy. Uh, he was about to anyway. And I had heard the guy's name being mentioned, but I'd never met him before. And Brian said, "Hey, uh, this is Jimi Hendrix." And I, yeah, I heard you. And he said, "I heard about you too, man." Uh, you want to get some food? Yeah, let's get some food. We went into the club. Brian went to hit on some girl. Never saw him again the rest of that night. And so I wound up at a dinner table with uh, with Jimi Hendrix, and it was just about the conversation, women and cars and music and fame and clothes and hairstyles and popularity and history and and that sort of crap, and then it wound up taking a real ugly turn, and I got sick as a dog uh, based on the amount of liquor and hash and pot and everything else that I had imbibed or ingested that evening, and I wound up puking all over his red velvet suit. (laughs) And that is my dinner with Jimmy. Uh, That's the way the movie kind of ends, uh, uh, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's pretty much all I remember from that night. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been an honor talking to you. I think uh, I think I want to close the interview with Billy the Mountain. What do you think about that? I think that's a wise choice. Uh, any any disclaimer you want to give to our audience about Billy the Mountain? The only thing I'd say is if you're lost or baffled about the story or any of the individual lyric, don't worry about it. It doesn't mean anything. It's (laughs) not supposed to mean anything. (laughs) All right, thanks again. I've been talking with Howard Kalen, lead singer of the Turtles, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, and, of course, Flo and Eddie. Uh, Check out the Turtles. Uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers was, uh, I think, 1970. uh, about 72, including you know, 200 Motels, Chunga's Revenge, uh, just another band from L.A. and uh, Fillmore East. Uh, this next song is Billy the Mountain off of uh, uh, just another band from L.A. and it is 24 minutes long, so hang in. There's still more free thought yeah. after the break. <laughs> All right, well, All right, Alex. Shoulder. 
was a mountain. Ethel was a tree growing off of his shoulder. Ethel was a tree growing off of his shoulder. <laughs> Billy had two big cage for eyes with a cliff for a jaw that would go up and down. And whatever it did, he'd puff out some dust and hack up a boulder. Now, one day, now I believe it was on a Tuesday, a man in a checkered double-knit suit drove up in a large Eldorado Cadillac leased from Bob Spreen. Where the freeways meet in Downey. And he laid a huge bulging envelope right at the corner of Billy the Mountain. That was right where his foot was supposed to be. Now. Billy the Mountain, he couldn't believe it. All those postcards he'd posed for, for all of those years. And finally, now at last, his royalties. Royalties! royalties. The royalty check is in, honey. Yes, Billy the Mountain was rich. Yes, and his eyeball caves, they widened in amazement. And his jaw, which was a cliff, well, it, it dropped 30 feet. A bunch of dust puffed out. Rocks and boulders hacked up. Crushing the Lincoln. I gave him the money. He acted real funny. He hocked up a rock and it totaled. When the bars had already closed down, Billy had broken the big news to Ethel. And with dust and boulders everywhere, <coughs> Billy choked with excitement. <coughs> Announce Ethel, we're going on a Oh, and Ethel, 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 like any little woman, she, of course, was very excited. <laughs> she creaked a little bit, and some old birds flew off of her. <laughs> Billy told Ethel they were going to... Stop in Las Vegas! Yeah. It's off to Las Vegas!
across the Mojave Desert, their voices echoing through the canyons of your minds. Ethel, wanna get a cup of coffee? Howard Johnson's Howard Johnson's Howard There's a Howard Johnson's wanna eat some clams. The first noteworthy piece of real estate they destroyed was Edwards Air Force Base. And to this very day, wing nuts and data reduction clerks alike speak in reverent whispers about that fateful night when test stand number one and the rocket sled itself got lunch. I said lunch. Lunch. By a famous mountain in. And his small wooden wife. We're just into the KTTV news service. Undeniably links this mountain and his wife to drug abuse and payoffs as part of a San Joaquin Valley smut ring. However, we can assure parents in the Southern California area that a recent narcotics crackdown in Torrance, Hawthorne, Lomita, Westchester, Playa del Rey, Santa Monica, Tahunga, Sunland, San Fernando, Pacoima, Silmar, Newhall, Canoga Park, Palmdale, Glendale, Irwindale, Rolling Hills, Granada Hills, Shadow Hills, Cheviot Hills. We'll provide the secret evidence the Palmdale Grand Jury has needed to seek a criminal indictment and pave the way for stiffer legislation, increased federal aid, and avert a crippling strike of bartenders and veterinarians throughout the Inland Empire. Within the week, Jerry Lewis had hosted a telethon. La, 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 nice lady. To raise funds for the injured, injured. and homeless, homeless in Glendale. No, 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 no. As Billy had just leveled it. And a few Right outside of town, Billy caused a on oh, my papa in the Earth's crust. Right over the secret underground dumps, right near the Jack in the Box on Glen Oaks, where they keep the pools of old poison gas <laughs> and obsolete germs. 
Yes, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon when little Howard Kaplan was sitting on his porch, just playing and having a nice time with his little accordion, and this weird wind came up, direct from Glendale, blowing these terrible germs in his direction, and all of this caused by a huge mountain. over vast stretches of... What? Now, unless I misunderstood, it was right outside of Columbus, Ohio, when Billy received his notice to report for his induction physical. Now, let me tell you, Ethel said, now Ethel, Ethel said, she wasn't going to let him go. I'm not going to let you go, Billy. That's right. We now have confirmed reports from an informed Orange County minister that Ethel is still an active communist. <laughs> and it is this reporter's opinion that she also practices cover witchcraft. It was about this time that the telephone rang inside of the secret briefcase belonging to the one mortal man who might be able to stop all of this senseless destruction and save America herself. And I'm sorry to disappoint some of you, it was not Chief Redden. This one man was Studebaker Hawk, fantastic new superhero of the current economic slump. Now some folks say he looked like Zubin Mehta. Zubin Mehta. Still others say bullshit, honey. Bullshit, man. It was just another greasy guy who happened to be born next to the frozen beef pies at Boney's Market. Still others say, Sean, piss on you, Jack. He's just a crazy Italian who drove a red car. You see, nobody ever really knew for sure because Studebaker was so mysterious. He was a Named Pinocchio or what? Some men say he could fly, some men say he could swim, others say he could sing like Neil Sedaka. And all the girls in Flushing would be amazed of him. Two, three, amazed of him. Amazed. Time passed. January, February, March. July, Wednesday, August, Irwindale, 2.30 in the afternoon, Sunday, Sunday. funny car, Walnut, <laughs> Friday, Big John Masmanian, so when the phone rang, 
So kiss little Jakey on the head, and uh, how'd your wife's hemorrhoids? Oh, that's too bad. Listen, so you got a mountain with a tree. Listen, causing. Oh my. Well, let me write this down. Sort of take a few notes here. Yeah, to El Segundo, huh? Causing untold destruction. for draft evasion oh. and expense account and per diem too some men say he could dance they said he could dance and of course they were right ladies and gentlemen this is it the studebaker hawk dancing lesson and cosmic prayer for guidance featuring ainsley dunbar hit it Twirly, 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 twirly. Hey! Right hand from the heart. Left hand from the heart. Right hand from the heart. Left hand from the left shoulder to the heart. Fillmore, Fillmore. Nobody can dance like Studebaker Hall. Fillmore, Fillmore. So many rumors have spread about Studebaker Hawk. Consider this rumor, which was published about three weeks ago in Rolling Stone. Oh, it's got to be true. Studebaker Hawk can write the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pen. No! Boulevard and Vine 
to see if he could find himself some big, large, unused cardboard boxes. After which, he hit up the Ralphs on Sunset for some Mancha Mima syrup, some Kaiser Broiler foil, and a pair of blunt scissors! Hey! And in the parking lot of Ralph's, where no prices are lower prices than Ralph, in the parking lot of Ralph's, in between a pair of customized trucks, where nobody was looking, he cut out some really, really, really nice wings, and he covered them thoroughly with foil.
Mountains will join Studebaker Hawk on the edge of Billy the Mountain's mouth. Take it away. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Billy, uh, listen. I've come to reason with you. Our great country needs you in the armed forces. Your number came up. You can't go on running like this forever. Oh, but Ethel just shook her twigs angrily. But Studebaker Hawk, calm, cool, collected, and unperturbed, continued. Yeah, well, listen, you... <coughs> Listen, you communist son of a bitch. You better get your ass down there for your fucking physical, or I'll see to it that you get used for filtered and some impending New Jersey marsh reclamation. And your girlfriend there will wind up disguised as a series of brooms, primitive ironing boards, or a doghouse. Get the... <coughs> get the picture? Yeah, well, Billy just laughed. Uh... They think they're gonna draft me. They're crazy. Unfortunately, because Studebaker Hawk was standing on the edge of Billy the Mountain's mouth, when the giant mountain laughed, Studebaker Hawk lost his footing and fell screaming 200 feet into the rubble below. Oh, listen, that only goes to show you, and it'll show you once again that a mountain is something you don't want to fuck with. Thought Media Network is supported by Health Forest Nutritionals through their affiliate program. The Health Forest banner at freethoughtmedia.org has a link that allows a portion of your sales to support this show. Health Forest is 100% non-GMO, organic, raw, and vegan superfoods and detox remedies. The award-winning Vitamineral Green Complex contains algae that are grown indoors to avoid attracting atmospherical pollutants, essential greens like wheatgrass, and more that take heavy metals, radiation, and toxins out of the body due to nuclear power, fluoride, chemtrails, GMOs, vaccines, and more harmful man-made pollutants. 
the warrior food protein powder is hemp and brown rice, 100% vegan, raw, organic. Our specialized health force link can be found at freethoughtmedia.org. Fact. The new NSA data center in Utah requires 1.7 million gallons of water every single day to operate. Billions of Fourth Amendment violations need massive computers and the water to cool them. That water is being supplied by the state of Utah. Fact. There's absolutely nothing in the Constitution which requires your state to help the feds violate your rights. Our message to Utah? Turn it off. No water equals no NSA data center. Visit offnow.org. And we're back here on Free Thought Radio, right here on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network, part of the Free Thought Media Network at freethoughtmedia.org. You can click on Free Thought TV and check out all the new YouTube videos and such. But I'm joined now by Free Thought Media Network and Free Thought Radio contributor, Mike Pastor, here for the, the news. Yo, everybody. It's great to be here via telephone. <laughs> yep, and no longer the popular medium on AM that it once was, but it's still the radio. <laughs> but we're still here, man. We're still here. <laughs> Let's go to this first headline. This touches on something that will kind of make its own separate little news story at the end here, but the the Federal Reserve reduces their bond buying pro- program. And I think they I think we talked about it on the last episode, but just it's just like it seems like I mean yeah they're slowing it down, but it's like a drop in the bucket compared to like the just the zeros upon zeros they can add to everybody's uh, bank ledger sheet. That's a member bank of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, they're cutting it down by like ten billion. Yeah. It was eighty five billion. Now it's just seventy five billion. They're printing <laughs> every month. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you know they're they're uh, you know trying to make it look like it's going to have some sort of major effect, but really, it's not. You know, it, it's just a little bit of a token thing to say, like, hey, look, we're really actually trying to, you know, uh, properly steward the economy. But, you know, I, I wouldn't actually be surprised if the next meeting they bump it back up to 85. You know, they just go, oh, yeah, yeah that was that didn't work out so well, back up to 85. Yeah, exactly. It's just so, That's so the Fed. That's kind of in national news. In state news, actually, San Diego news, pretty cool. A uh, victim of the war on medical cannabis, uh, Jovan Jackson, sentenced instead of to uh, incarceration, he was sentenced to probation. Actually was court-ordered by the judge to continue his use of medical cannabis for his PTSD. Not to sell it or anything like else like that, but he's allowed to at least consume medical cannabis court ordered by the judge that's pretty cool what do you think about that yeah right on you don't hear about that stuff too often the judge says ah you must smoke weed yeah i can uh-huh wow yeah that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome yeah which is which is uh good because you know you know once you get chewed up by the criminal justice system needlessly i mean this guy didn't even need to go through it in the first place but once you do you know for a fact, you're not going to walk out as free of a man as you were before. So at least he has 
Uh, he may not have all his freedoms back, and I really do think in a perfect world that he should as soon as possible. But you know, right. it's a it's a good victory. I think you know, I I I I would take I would take the herbs for uh, as a as a you know worthy uh, constellation prize, and this is huge. Yeah, that's uh, you know, and hopefully the word on that gets around a little bit more, and it starts being encouraged. Yeah, and then that is a step in the right direction. Oh yeah, so kind of on the topic of uh, Snowden um, in in national news or sort of international news, uh, ex CIA chief um, says that amnesty for Snowden would be idiotic. That instead Snowden should be hanged by his his neck. <laughs> so who specifically said that? That's pretty monstrous. Let's see what his name is. I'm just going off the headlines here. Is James Woolsey? Oh, James Woolsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a real, uh, he's a real son of a bitch. Um, oh yeah. By the you... way, we're not on AM radio anymore, so we could say stuff like "son of a bitch" or "fuck." I, have we that always feels been good. able to say son of a bitch? I think we can, but I yeah. don't know. It doesn't matter. But, you know, we can say whatever we want, and I may drop an F-bomb more than once because that's normally how I talk, everybody. You, I mean, the whole idea of me having a conversation for two hours on the radio without, you know, uh, dropping an F-bomb is pretty pretty miraculous for me. So, yeah. But, yeah. Um, fuck. 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 Mother, mother, fuck. Mother, mother, fuck, fuck, mother, fuck, mother, fuck, noise, noise, noise. One, two, one, two, three, four. Noise, noise, noise. Smoking weed, smoking weed. Doing coke, drinking beers. Drinking beers, beers, beers. Rolling baddies, smoking blunts. Who smokes the blunts? Who smoke the blunts? Rolling blunts and smoking. Uh, let me get a nickel bag. Fifteen bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. If that money doesn't show, then you owe me, owe me, oh. My jungle love, yeah, oh we oh we oh I think I wanna know ya, know ya, yeah, what? Yeah, James Woosley is a really creepy character. Um, I, he was on CNN the other day, and I watched him, like, say something, you because know, he's a talking head now. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he's just a creepy guy to, like, look at. Like, he is, like, you know, he's got authority in his head like you would not believe, you know. Yeah. He's all up there, like, oh, you know, we got to do the right thing, God bless America, all that, you know. Well, luckily, Glenn Greenwald schooled him when Glenn Greenwald talked to the EU, um, saying that the NSA's goal is elimination of privacy worldwide. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not, very, not very good, and Snowden just kind of came out with a thing and... Um, said um that he he felt like his stuff has been accomplished i mean he's he's revealed a lot of you know damning things that were a we're all being spied on how we're all being spied on that we could they could track our locations as we're walking down the street inch by inch yeah 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 and uh, uh you know about uh snowden somebody you know put a, a meme on uh on facebook about the way he's uh you know getting the news out there and, you know, I guess I just never really thought about it like that, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's uh, putting the news out, like, a little bit, you know, at a time, and then probably getting a good laugh just like everybody else is as they say that they're not doing something, but they really are. And then when the news comes out that they were lying, you know, with whatever, you know, next document he releases, it's, you know, just so funny to watch him trip over themselves. Oh, uh, we're not really tracking everybody's 
phone call. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess we are, but we're just going to do it for right now. We may not do it in the future because we really care about you, you know? Yep, and uh, just among many things that they watch you watch porn, they can watch you through your webcam while watching you watch porn. Um, they wholesale all the data straight over to Israel. Um, they uh, can, you know, tap your the the f- microphone on your on your uh, on your phone when, or or even computer when it's just inactive and not even on. Um, yeah, just so on and so forth. Not very, you know. Xbox Xbox Ones and Xbox Connects are all just big NSA machines. Um, not good. Yeah, especially if you got servers. that Connect hooked up to it, you know? Yeah, telescreens, basically, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. You know, I mean, you know, on the bright side, at least we can still turn them off. Yeah. You know, like, we can be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I just put a piece of tape off. over. Actually, I, I mean, I have a... Um, I have a flyer that I got from my friend, uh, Cannabis Sherry, that uh, makes a cannabis medical marijuana cookbook and I just folded a the tenth of it over and, and hang it off uh my laptop. So I don't know. Maybe they're maybe the NSA is making a good uh batch of brownies right now off the one tenth of the recipe that they can see on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> I w I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they're getting if they're getting paid to play uh, you know, MMOs online then they're gonna they might, uh, yeah, just sit there and uh, bake us some pod brownies while they're playing World of Warcraft, you know? Yeah, they just go to the DEA lockers and confiscate everything. You know, I mean, the more you hear about it, the more, like, working for the Fed seems like such a sweet gig. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I really wish I could compromise my morals enough to do it, and I just can't do it. But, you know, like, geez, I get to, you know, play video games. and Steal you know, There's that story a couple years back about, you know, the, the cops making the brownies. <laughs> out of the evidence locker, you know. I mean, not a you know. Wow. <laughs> Here's another one. The Supreme Court just took away your right to remain silent. Quote: If you're an activist and you haven't seen this, you should pay attention. The courts have just ruled that your silence could mean your arrest. No more innocence until proven guilty. If the cops ask you questions and you don't submit, they may throw you in a cage. End quote. I do believe that was from Muslims for Liberty. Yeah. So it's uh, like. The whole notion of that um, 10 rules to know when encountering police officers from Flex Your Rights, it's like silence or refusing a search is not equivalent to guilt. You know, it's just like, oh, what do you have, something to hide? It's like, you know, you're just, what if you're completely innocent? It's like being in a straitjacket and not actually being crazy. Like, you're trapped. Like, it's like, it's a it's a total, it, it's a mind fuck too, because, you know, no matter they have guns and you're just an innocent person, obviously logically stating your innocence that you, that you understand that they're what their job is, but you would like not to be violated that day. Um, it's, it's, you know, that's it. This is taking away kind of like the main crux of that, which is the ability to stay silent. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, it's, it, 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 you know, uh, invoked my Fifth Amendment right, you know, like all of a sudden, you you know, you almost have to be a legal scholar just to have in contact with the police. Like, you have to be, oh, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right. You should be, you just shut the fuck up, and they, there's nothing they can do about it. Now you have to tell them that? Wow. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's getting weird, man. It's getting really weird. It's getting, I'm thinking about moving to Chile weird, you know? As long as they don't pass the TPP, because Chile is an original signatory nation. 
Oh yeah, yeah. But I know, uh, I know. Uh, uh, Luke from We Are Changes like into the whole Chile thing, so maybe he can help like kick David Rockefeller out of there. Because when I saw David Rockefeller in Chile, and then then I heard that Chile was one of the original signatory nations of the TPP. I'm like, if this TPP thing and David Rockefeller thing doesn't get taken care of quick, the Galt's Gulch thing is just gonna slip into the sea like castles made of sand. Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and 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 that would be like a great way, like for the free city to kind of stick their neck out of, of, with activism and be like, hey, we're here to maintain our free city status. S- fuck the TPP. We're done with it. <laughs> yeah, we want out. Like you know, as as much as you know, I I, I think that you know, maybe Chile or um, or a couple of the other uh, places where they're kind of thinking about having these free cities sort of things. As much as I. I want to believe that's going to work out well. In some ways, I almost think they're going to have to like turn it into a fortress or something, you know? Because there's no like, government yeah, in the world that respects us. Be- yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, Chile is a place where, you know, I, I guess you would hope that the government's going to leave them alone. But if push comes to shove, you know, they're going to want to, you know, they'll do what, you know, state is going to stay. They're going to go in there and try to take their, uh, try to take their shit. Yep. And TPP is going to be like their, uh, you know, uh, wood chipper that they throw everybody into. <laughs> yeah. um, in international news, two Palestinian men were assassinated execution style in cold blood by Israeli soldiers 24 hours apart at their homes. Uh, was Saleh Samir Abdul Rahman Yassin, 28 years old. And then the second one is Nafeh Esadi, uh, 23 years old. Now I'm 22 years old, so imagine if I got assassinated next year. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's there. There, the only explanation for me and the reason why people put up with this nonsense of them just, you know, droning people just and hellfire missile and people die, is that there's still a lot of that mentality of, oh well, the government is right. Why would they kill people who weren't terrorists? And they probably were terrorists because they're brown. You know, there's still a lot of that mentality, and it's really, you know, it's it's re- really disgusting that there's so Dangerous. much, so much. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of which, you know, I I don't advocate violence on any side, but at the same time, there we have the right to self-defense. We have the right to resist occupation um, as long as it's in self-defense. I think initiation of violence is always wrong. Um, uh, e- even if you feel it's necessary, um, when it comes to that tipping point, uh, initiation of violence is always wrong. And especially, you know, we're going to get back to, we're going to go to talk about this later, which is fishing. You know, you don't want to advocate initiation of violence because, uh, then, you know, some secret, uh, NSA spies or fishers can like be like, Hmm, depend this down on my notepad. But I think resistance and in self-defense and defensive, is is understandable especially when you're dealing with a large imperial power there's like you know all these kinds of cartoons that i feel all right well the entire state was established by genocide anyways uh so it's just and it's just a thousand missiles one day thousand missiles the next day one puny missile from gaza comes and lands in some field or hits some soldier or somebody that's actually you know using force against them Oh, they're terrorists! Another thousand missiles. <laughs> it's a, it's it's exactly like that, and it's like, you know, the reason why they launched more airstrikes against Gaza 
over Christmas, you know, bombing the homeland of the person you're trying to celebrate for Christmas um, is because a, bo a border agent was killed when rebuilding the border fence of Gaza. And you know what? I'm sorry. I don't have any I don't have any sympathy for uh, genocidal fascist soldiers. I wouldn't have any sympathy for a Nazi soldier that got shot. I wouldn't have any sympathy for uh, an Israeli soldier who was who was uh, you know committing genocide and ethnic cleansing and uh, militaristic occupation. You know, just you know, uh, you know, playing with lives and uh, with a machine gun like uh, you know any any like Pol Pot or the Nazis or whatever, uh, w w so on and so forth. I don't have any sympathy for border agents because they're just enforcing fascist, racist policies here in the United States. I don't, I, I really uh, lose sympathy for some of these people at some point. Um, not that I necessarily condone violence in that as somebody's family member, but at the same time, you know, Nazi soldiers wouldn't feel too bad. Pol Pot soldiers, uh, you know, all, 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 all kinds of fascist I'm, soldiers. I'm having, you know, I'm... Uh... I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of starting to lose uh, a little bit of empathy for people who choose that voluntarily to do that sort of a thing. They don't have to do it. Uh, the exception a little bit is with Israel. You know, it is mandatory that you serve in yeah. the military. So to a point, they've got a gun to their head, too. Yeah. But, you know, I mean... There's an extent uh, of which is like... Like there's a lot of people that are dogged and like they they don't they aren't like like you know hesitant. It's like dogged. I'm gonna go kill some Palestinian animals. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and, and Alex, you and me both know uh, a guy who, uh, you know, he was drafted during Vietnam and he, you know, re refused to, you know, to to participate. You know, he was in the barracks and everything, and he, you know, it was Mike. He refused to get out of the bunk. He said, "I'm not doing it." Yeah, you know, he just did everything he could to be a pain in the ass to the military until he finally was able to get out. You know, after a couple of years of him dicking them around and them dicking him around, he you know did his thing and never got shipped out or never had to fire a gun on anybody. And actually, there are a lot of uh, conscientious objectors in Israel, like who know that you know they don't want to commit genocide. That you know this government doesn't represent them. We got to separate people from government. That doesn't make it. That doesn't mean that what those in governments aren't numerous and. Uh, are should be put in jail for war crimes and brought to justice, but that doesn't mean that everybody is responsible. Um, point, point being that people are conscientiously objecting and they're getting thrown into jail, um, but they're doing that because they're brave enough to stick to their morals. Because how would they ever live with themselves if they pull the trigger on somebody? Because um, at some point, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just doing my job or I'm just taking orders. Whether it's Israel or the Nazis or Pol Pot or even the United States with these militarized fascist police officer pigs. Uh, excuse my language. I love, I love peace officers, but I got to call these uh, militarized people that shoot less lethal ammunitions at women and children uh, by a little bit of a derogatory name uh, once in a while. But I, I, uh, I, I, I totally understand. Yeah. I, I, I feel you there. You know, it, it, it is getting to a point in a lot of places, and it's and it's going to become more apparent as things you know start to go more downhill. Is that people are going to have to start making those sort of decisions? Will I stick by my morals and do what is the right thing to do? Will I not hurt anybody? And you know, and 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 you know, and make my life more difficult by sticking to what I believe is right, or am I going to do it for a paycheck? Yep. You know, that's what it comes down to. Are you willing to? you know, do horrible shit to get paid.
Yep. And, and unfortunately, some people are. They're willing to do horrible things just to get that money. You know, yep. just to get that, that that paper fucking money. Not even fucking real money. Just get that paper. Yeah. They're suckers. Oh, my. In other state yeah. news, um, in California here in San Diego, we did uh, hashtag up safe winter uh, at the Civic Center in San Diego, giving out uh, necessities and warm clothes to the to the houseless, such as non-fluoridated toothpaste, Dr. Bronner's and hippie butter uh, soap bars and uh, natural deodorants and uh, food and uh, well, food's the least needed thing because there's plenty of food kitchens. But it was it was a great event and uh, really uh, good to help people because the weather is the most dangerous thing. You know, freezing to death is is, is hey, the big danger there. You know, that's, that's really, really common back east. Really, really common. Um, uh, we don't talk about that, but no, it happens quite a bit in Chicago, New York City, uh, you know, Philadelphia, where it gets really cold. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of homeless people that they freeze to death, especially, you know, elderly homeless. You know, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, they make a paper every day because, you know, apparently it's not important, even though it is. Somebody dies, lost their life, they're no longer among the living, but yeah, uh, you know, and I really I, I forgot to thank you about this earlier, but I mean, what you guys were doing that was that was really wonderful, and I apologize I couldn't make it down there, but that no that, that's that's it's really wonderful. I'm glad you guys did that. Yep, voluntary mutual aid in action. There's going to be another one. Uh, just check out Occupy San Diego's Facebook page, or if you live in San Diego. Um, I watched this movie called Beyond Treason, and I think it might as well be be called Beyond Genocide or or Beyond Sociopathy. Um, it was about one, um, one among many things is depleted uranium um, and, and it's how it was used in Fallujah and the birth defects that it caused. Um, you know, I really think these, these politicians and militaries uh, generals are either psychopaths at best and at worst, I really don't have a word for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, some of them are straight out monsters. Um, you know, most of them are unfortunately doing it because, like I was saying earlier, they're getting a big, big fucking paycheck for it. I mean, some of those generals that are getting those military contracts, you know, they're they're you're hooking up with Northrop Grumman or, um, or uh, you know, uh, you, your military industrial complex X company, you know, whatever. Yeah, they're making like you know, hundred, two hundred k a year. That's their yeah. paycheck. You know, that's not including whatever bribery they're getting for, you know, uh, getting, you know, hooking a deal up. Yeah, I would love to fly this by one of our uh, affiliate sponsors of this show, Health Force Nutritionals. I would love because they're like anti, you know, environmental pollution, whether it's GMO or geoengineering or vaccines or fluoride. Um, that's what a lot of their stuff is for, like the vitamin mineral greens, like the super greens and stuff like that. They should just yeah. like, you know, do a charity thing, kind of like there's a lot of charities. Um, that do things around the world, whether it's uh, laser eyesight or so on and so forth. How about a bunch of vitamin greens and grow some hemp in Fallujah to sap out all the nuclear radiation? Um, you know, have people start taking the greens and, and the zeolites and uh, grow the hemps and detoxify the environment. Uh, it's because it's better than not doing it because otherwise, either way, it's probably contaminated. But it's like we got to do something and do it the natural way with the this stuff but and it's a way for you know a uh, conscious corporation like health force to uh to really um bring light to a, a tr- catastrophic issue 
depleted uranium and birth defects, man. That stuff's not. That's not. That's not comfortable. No, and it's you know, and it's nothing. Uh, you know, I, I you know, I don't think a lot of people know that. I mean, that's it's really prevalent in places where you know there's been either you know some sort of nuclear accident. Chernobyl, you know, is a, is a really good example. There's still you know, it's very common for or not. Not it's not like it's every kid, but it, the the percentages are much higher. You know, there's these kids being born and, and soon after they have thyroid cancer you or, know and they're just not even like eight legs or two heads it's crazy oh uh, yeah you know yeah i've seen you know like yeah really disturbing pictures of yeah you know kids being born with hor- horrible deformities and you know uh, sadly that's going to start happening in uh you know japan you know yeah. All the well, hopefully way from, not america you know, that's why we got to start, yeah, start growing the hemp. You know, I hate to sound like I'm a salesman here, but this is more than just making a sale. You know, doing that green stuff would help sap the nuclear radiation out of your body. I mean, wheatgrass alone, which is one of the components, wheatgrass, if you mix it into water, it all of a sudden, you know, uh, defluoridates, it breaks up the fluoride compounds into something that's harmless. Um, so if, uh, if you, you know, especially the powder form of the green stuff, you know, mix it directly into water. Yeah. You know, probably detoxifies it, and it's so uh, even if it's already filtered. Like I double filter my water now that the water district threw up, you know, fluoride onto us in the middle of July this year. Um, you know, I have to. I don't want to undergo that expense. It's like a forced expense to maintain uh, my own health. Um, it's 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 something that you know um, we could we could really. Um, there, there is a way to fix this with organic agriculture. The only thing that's in the way of that is the state preventing us from growing, preventing uh, us from exporting with each other. Hemp, prohibition, you know, it's they're, they're the biggest actors in the way of us detoxifying our environment. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that about the wheatgrass. So I'm going to yeah. have to look into that. That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, Next up is that the U.S. government is asking Google to, remore, to remove almost 4,000 political items from the, their search feature, or at least bump them down in the rankings. So let me guess, because we talked about this one uh, before in regards to 9-11. So obviously 9-11 truth. Of course, NSA stuff, depleted uranium Iraq, Israel apartheid, third parties, and the Fed. I could probably guess the list goes on and on, because um, uh, I know they are, they are suppressing uh, a lot of information um, because the government, I, I don't know how much of it is Google been uh, willing to do it themselves or the government. I mean, uh, I, I wish they would have more of a backbone uh, in our society. Um, um, but uh, I think, I, I, I think this is not a very good thing to, to do because it uh, prevents, you know, the internet from being a kind of an open place to find out the truth from. Yeah, it's uh, that it, it's pretty scary. I, I, on the bright side, I, I do think that that's not going to be the biggest hindrance mm-hmm. for people to find out information because, you know, uh, with a lot of you know activists that you know are, are posting on Twitter or on Facebook, they're usually already posting the link to a website with the information. They're usually not, you know, uh, referring you to Google. I mean, I, I've done that sometimes, but usually I like to post a link, you know, to the website that, you know, that I would like somebody to go to with the information. But, uh, yeah, it's still, you know, a worry that's still creepy like everything else they're doing, right? Yeah. But Talk about creepiness and probably uh, tracking those search terms is the 2014 NDAA got passed while 
everybody was brainwashed and caring about this stupid bigot on uh, some duck show that I don't watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really funny is that I haven't had cable in, you know, probably about two, two and a half years, something like that. So I Bravo. haven't really been watching. Yeah, and I haven't really been watching TV too much, you know, just like maybe something that's going to be posted on YouTube or whatever show. I might watch South Park every, you know, once a month or something like that. If somebody goes, hey, this is a funny one. But, uh, yeah, like I was watching it at a, at a friend's house a, a couple weekends ago. Uh, not the show, Duck Dynasty, but I just saw a commercial for it, and I just asked my buddy, I go, hey, what's up with that show? Because I'm seeing all their, like, you know, merchandise everywhere. Like, you walk into a Walmart, and everything is Duck Dynasty. You got your Duck Dynasty throw pillow, your Duck Dynasty, you know, cheap, uh, you know, fleece blanket, uh, your, du- your Duck Dynasty hats, you know, all- the whole damn store. You know, and, uh, you know, so finally I asked buddy, hey, what's up with the show? And he, yeah, he goes, yeah, it's some, you know, rich, uh, you know, uh, heirs to this company that makes duck whistles. You know, I'm like, what? That's a reality show? Yep. Okay. And I guess it's just because they're kind of hickish or something, and it's funny. I don't know why it's so popular, but, yeah, that's a bummer. There's NDA, right, while everybody's worrying about some stupid shit. Yeah. Yep. Uh this is this is interesting because it contradicts Edward Snowden's revelations. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister and other and other people from the government demand an end to U.S. spying. What? Ooh, bravo! the The U.S. wasn't spying on Israel. The U.S. was wholesaling raw data to Israel, and and this and that's just one big smokescreen. Israel is the government's lying out out of their patootie, so to speak. Because not only was the NSA wholesaling raw data to uh, to Israel, Israel has just been spying on us for a long time, for decades, such as stealing nuclear secrets with uh, Jonathan Pollard, and actually most recently, the freaking producer of Fight Club was stealing nuclear secrets. Just, just fathom that for a second. That's pretty wild, and like... When I hear stories about it, how it's just like some dude who's kind of well-connected, you know, he doesn't work for the government, but, you know, he's got some sort of connections. Turns out that guy was, you know, working for the feds. Stories like that are the ones that make me really paranoid. You know, like I hear stuff like that, I'm like, wow, it was just some producer dude, and he made a movie that I like and have seen a couple times and all that, and turns out that guy was like some, you know, secret fed goon. That's fucking wild. Yeah. I mean, it's happened in the past. There was, like, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, like, Hollywood directors back in the 50s with the whole McCarthy thing who were ratting out their friends. They, they're telling them they're communists, and they probably weren't, obviously, and then they were probably just doing that so they could get, you know, whatever movie deal instead or something. But, yeah, it, it's, it's not new. It's, I'd, hate to, I'd love to say that it was new, and it's just something that's really exposed, but this sort of thing's been going on for decades. Oh, it's yeah. just don't hear about it as much there there was a there was a whole thing where they uh the company that like had the kind of basically physical monopoly over phone billing in the united states they were like half israeli owned and uh, were feeding as a private company feeding data over to israel and then once the nsa came into place oh it's much much more high tech with the government uh we don't even need that because no, I mean, nobody uses landlines anymore either so it's a nice little uh transition um before we get into the 100th birthday of the Fed, on that same day, that was the 100th birthday, uh, you know, longtime Palestinian political prisoner and, uh, of course, a hunger striker as well, uh, Samar Asawi was uh, released and uh, sent back to his family, which is pretty cool. 
But that brings us to the main event. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the weird, wild, crazy, and kooky shit that happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so we did the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve protest uh, yesterday. And we did it at the federal billing because, of course, the dollars, while it may be you know, printed by this private banking cartel, uh, they are really in existence because of the monopoly on force of the state, specifically the federal government. So the federal building, well, we don't have a Fed branch here, so it's the most, it's the closest we can do. And it was next to some banks, uh, Merrill Lynch and Chase. So it was like, you know, a, a halfway measure. But we, we congregated, we did some speeches. Uh, I th- I'd say even more before the speeches begun, there just this creepy uh, silver Chrysler the one that kind of like looks like it's a Bentley ripoff or something like that, um, just pulls hey, up. They uh, have kind of tinted windows. They pull up and you just park there. I'm sh- I don't yeah, know you remember yeah. that. There were ten of us. There was uh, Nick from the Anti Media who hosts the third hour of this show. Um, myself, a couple of our friends, occupiers, and everything like that. Um, uh, and that's pretty much it. Was uh, about ten of us and. Um, we decided to just do this marching procession towards uh, Chase Bank, and then on the way that that's on the way to Bank of America, and we chalked up both of them. But we go to chalk over, we go to chalk up Bank of. Actually, like one of our friends goes up and approaches these people in the car, and of course, for his protection, for record, I go with my camera and, and film him uh, talking to them. And you know, federal agents are legally required to announce themselves when asked. We asked if they were federal agents. They said no. Uh, my friend told me he uh, knows that, uh, at least when he was in Seattle helping out with Occupy, that uh, Blackwater contracts uh, as private security for federal government property. Um, although Blackwater is now technically dissolved and renamed, but still, uh, Blackwater, Craft, anything else? XI now or something? Or what? They're calling Blackwater XI or something, and it's got a different name now? Something like that, but either way, it's private security because they didn't announce themselves yeah. as feds, and they weren't even saying what they were doing. They were, like, they were just like, uh, we're on your side. Um, but we'll get to that part later. Um, so yeah. Yeah. we, we, uh, we you know, get their li- we, I photoed their license plate number, you know, put the live stream, the video on them more than one time throughout. So it's like the more, this is like throughout the day. Um, we go, we march to Chase and chalk on the Chase Bank sidewalk, then a Chase Bank security person you know, comes up and says what we're doing, da 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 even though the Jeff Hol- Olson thing was proven that we can do that um, peacefully, you know, we're, we're not, uh, as much as, like, this kind of stuff comes with the territory, we're not, like, full-on, you know, Adam Cook as we're, you know, we're kind of at least tame and responsible, and it's just chalk, and it's even non-toxic, man. <laughs> it's just chalk, man. Really, that's all it is. Yeah, I mean, it's not good to eat, but you wouldn't die from poisoning, um, but either way, it's like we started talking. We were getting harassed by the bank people, and we, you know, were telling them like, "You're just following the orders." Just like, you know, what if you got an order to kill? Um, what's what's the difference? The people that are we're protesting again, we're not here to to have anger at you or anything like that. They steal wealth out of your pocket too. Um, this affects all of us, and not like my children and grandchildren, like my parents that are alive right now, are going to be affected. Uh, and me too. I'm just gonna have to live with it longer than they are. Um, and 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 you know he kind of he kind of I mean they kind of backed out, but he's still just you know asserting his dominance. You know, a bit of an ego thing. I get paid to do this. I get paid to take orders. Unfortunately, not thinking outside of the box, or just the systemic problems that 
uh, beyond like, you know, this kind of rigid uh, pigeonholing that we can put arguments into. This is like not even argument. Like we're trying to show love to, you know, our brothers and sisters here that this is a scam system. And like, uh, you know, you should just, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, pretend that there's nobody chalking on the sidewalk. But coincidentally, our friends in the gray Chrysler were there on the on the curb next to us and just sitting there, like you know, surveilling us. It was creepy. It's the I've never felt more violated in my entire life. It's kind of like getting sexually molested, I would imagine. Oh, I don't know. Maybe a couple tiers below, but it's like it's the same, the same, the same category of violation. And the thing that was funny is like when he when he pulled up, you know, to the you know similar three minute loading zone. You know, I waved the car. You know, I mean, I knew he was there. That those, well, those two guys. There's two people in the car. We let him know that we're we knew they're there and we're watching him. Like, hey guys, you know, we're not stupid. You're following us. We know. Yeah. If anything, they're stupid. They're the ones that are showing the epitome of the Twilight Zone 1984 on steroids society that we live in. I mean, we have their license plate number. Like, they're they they've got to be the dumbest goons we've ever met. Yeah, well, you know, that that sort of job doesn't really require a whole lot of intelligence and critical thinking. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you if you look into it, there was a, a court case a couple years back where uh, a dude wanted to be a cop, and he was applying to be a detective, and, you know, he had all the qualifications. He was overqualified, you know, and so he took the test to, to work for this police department, and they rejected him, and he ended up suing him over, like, you know, some equal opportunity employment thing. He had too high of an IQ, right? Yeah, his IQ was too high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming short there. Yeah, his IQ was too high. Yeah, I guess make a long story short. So yeah. they actually don't want you to be smart. They want you to follow the orders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this is the only instance where we can actually say we're not crazy for saying we're being followed around by people. In other instances, you'd be like, that guy must be crazy. He thinks people are following him around. Wrong. This is real. Uh, so we, we, you know, we confronted them a couple of times. So um, we asked them, like, you know, what you guys doing is incredibly creepy. You know, some of our parents and ancestors, you know, escaped from totalitarian countries to come here to escape people like you from doing what you're doing right now. But it's happening all over again. And uh, and, and, you know, you're you're uh, you know, they're stealing your wealth, too. And I'm like, so wh- what kind of a retirement plan does Blackwater have? And he's like, Blackwater. And I'm like, well. What Kraft International, uh, CIA, FBI, Mossad? What what are they offering you? Um, and he's like, I don't, I don't know. I wish, like that would be that would be great. I'm like, yeah. you're not just hanging out on a Monday, you know, afternoon, you know, just following some, you know, kids around. Like, you're, <laughs> if you're just hanging, you're getting paid a good deal to to do that. It's 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 creepy, and it's like, you know. Hey, and he- I remember the guy said he goes. He goes. We're not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is paid. like the this is the banker. I mean, I really it's kind of freaky because this is you know the banker mafia. I, I totally believe that there's at least some of that motive in in JFK with the whole uh, executive order thing, and um, but also simultaneously JFK not wanting to give Israel a bomb and everything like that, and um, having a shred of independence. Um, uh, you know, it's like. This, this stuff gets serious, but it's like um, I, I don't think that's that, that that'll, that'll happen to somebody that's really powerful, like the president, and it may happen to somebody like the uh, Ibrahim Todeshev, um, the friend of the Boston bombers, alleged Boston bombers. Um, but it can't. It, it's it would be hard to do it to people like us 
So they'll just enjoy intimidating us with people like that. Uh, they'll just enjoy giving, uh, having us live in a system that we see, uh, you know, that they're still winning. Like, I think that's like their ultimate uh, victory, but I think we will win, but they, it's like, it's like, they can't do anything. They won't, they won't do anything to harm us because we're too visible. Um, yeah, unless we're extremely powerful, like a, pre a head of state, you know, there's like that middle ground of like, you're, you're that specific niche type of person where, you know, they'll just do things like that to you and surveil you and uh, make your life like, you know, make you, you know, lose your, uh, lose your, you know, your composure essentially. And kind of, you know, th that's, that's, they're all sadists anyway. So they like, you know, just thrown off your life like that. No, they, that was, that was definitely, uh, the whole purpose of that was to intimidate us, yeah. you know, scare us. And, and to a point, you know, it was pretty, it was, really effective. We didn't leave. We didn't run away. We didn't go, oh, yeah, you know, there's some creepy guys watching us, but yeah, it was, a, you know, I mean, hey, what are these guys doing? Yeah. You know, who are they? You know, where we go, they're right there. But their goal is, as much as like, I'm, as much as I'm like over the feeling, you know, it's just like, it's just like they, that whole point is just to make us feel violated like that. Like I felt so violated. Um, that's, that's like the goal is just to make me, make us not have good days and that's going to, that's going to keep happening because of this 1984 society that we live in. Like the, the, that, you know, they don't even need that guy, those guys anymore. It's like, that's again, that was intimidation. If they wanted to, they could just track our cell phones and track our conversations and just, you know, their best victory. They don't even have to do anything to us. Like, uh, you know, the old days where they would just, you know, take people out like JFK. It's just like you live in the society that you hate and that's like the ultimate punishment. So the more that they increase, this society of surveillance and militarism it's like that's that's their ultimate victory even so and, and suppressing our voice in the media and everything like that um so um un, un, until we have another jfk i think uh you know you can't kill an idea so using force against people that uh would you know uh, uh that would that would like in the silver circle movie that would create too many questions more than can be answered you know amongst society so it's like they they're treading on, on soft waters but they're willing to intimidate us like that but we have the license plate number uh, i'm gonna go ahead and read it off it's uh, there you go six e y f three four five california would love anybody to help us out with that um and it was a it was a silver chrysler i believe Chrysler 300, I think, is a model number. Like the fancy kind of Bentley ripoff-looking one. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a 300. But um, I did the year I uh, changed the model for a number of years, so it's somewhere between like 2008 and probably you know this current year. It, it looked a couple of years old, so it might have been like a 2010. The Silver Chrysler 300, I believe, maybe a 500, but they're almost identical. Yep. Well. um... That about wraps it up for the news. Anything you want to touch up upon about, you know, being followed by creepy guys for uh, for a day or so? You know, it, uh, you know, the thing I'm still wondering about was for the what bank we were going to go to next, shocking, or were they actually following us? I'll never know. We'll never know. They it seemed like they got there fairly. Yeah, I mean, you, we we don't know if they had access to our uh, phone tracking. Or anything like that. Um, but either way, they it's, got, it's people getting paid to follow us. 
You know, that, that, that was the thing that made me think up there before the police even did. You know, yeah. they're sitting there, uh, you know, San Diego Police Department showed up, their car. And, you know, I got to give it to the San Diego Police Department for actually being really, really cordial with us. Yeah. You know, you're a bit antagonistic, but those guys are actually pretty nice, you know. More so than DHS, that's for sure. Yeah, those, those guys. Another funny thing that I, I guess I should have mentioned was, like, when we got there, you know, there's about nine of us hanging out in front of the federal bus, and there are nine DHS guys, one-to-one, just in case somebody could take out each one of us, you know, like put us in cuffs and go out individually. You know, there was just enough for each one of us. Yeah. Go, hey guys, so how many people were you expecting to be? And they're like, oh, well, we're not really sure. We just heard some. It's going to go around on social media and all that. And, you know, you know what's the. How, how, you know, I don't know. Just, you know, I mean, we should be used to that by now. There's going to be, going to be way more. And it's all about intimidation and all that. So, yeah. onward. Forward, uh, onwards and upwards and all that. You know, through it. We'll be all right. Yeah, and just the whole the whole you know thing was that we you know, we were you know we're, we're responsible you know uh, chalking is civil disobedience it's not harm you know we're not like overt like you know we're not doing the cocash thing um, we're um, we're you know pushing the lines on civil disobedience but it's like we're not just going overboard for the sake of going overboard because uh, you know we care more about the message and everything like that then you know um uh, kind of just uh, anything else but that um and chalking is part of that and it's just a one-time thing it's like you know it, we're completely harmless like th that's the problem is like this twilight zone that we live in we're like the harmless people yet the people that are getting protected and served are the people that are causing murder and financial chaos uh you know all around the world Yes, welcome, welcome to the Twilight Zone, where the peaceful people are apparently the more dangerous ones. Yeah. Protecting and eyes. serving the shit out of you. <laughs> all, in the, all in the name of officer safety. Officer safety, the greatest police officer that ever lived. <laughs> well, Mike, this is the kind of Christmas episode. We did uh, Greatest Hits, played an interview with the hilarious singer of the Turtles, also of Frank Zappa, as that I did in 2011. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, gonna maybe do some more, just take it laid back, um, until January or whatever. Um, uh -huh. hopefully do some more interviews with some cool people. I'm trying to bug the guitar player of Cynic of doing an interview cause he's really cool and, uh, really laid back. Want to interview him about some deep stuff. Um, yeah. Um, Christmas and a happy new year. Where's everybody, yeah. you know, listening? Have a good one, guys. Yeah. yeah, if you want to support the show, head over to the marketplace at freethoughtmedia.org this holiday season. You know, uh, give some, if you have a last minute thing, you know, the shipping's too long, just print out the receipt and say, hey, I got you some hemp seeds, I got you some non GMO superfoods, or I got you some alternative currencies. That's what's all at the freethoughtmedia.org marketplace. Portion of sales gets kicked back to us. So it's not like, smoke are you smoking yet like we're not blatant you selling stuff this is like stuff we can believe in and uh you know f truly voluntary corporate uh companies i wouldn't even call them corporations you know um that all yeah, all mean, seem to hedge against war i think 
give a gift to, you know, to your, your friends and family that shows that you, you know, care about them beyond like the newest video game, you know, you know, tell them why you're giving it to them. This is about, you know, your future, you know, uh, security when it comes to, you know, being able to, you know, buy food in the future, or, you know, this is for your future health, you know, use these products instead. They don't have all that bullshit in there. Yeah. The wheatgrass stuff, just get them the wheatgrass to say, this is because of Fukushima. I'm protecting you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I, I want you to be healthy, you know, eat this, you know? Yep. You no, know, I mean you don't got. Yeah, I'm not saying like pressure men to it, but tell them why. No. <laughs> Eat the wheatgrass, please. <laughs> yeah, well, we should be the high school bullies instead of like you know sticking people's heads in toilets. We should just pour wheatgrass and kombucha down people's throats. <laughs> oh God, it's horrible, but it's funny though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're not actually going to do that. We never yeah, do no. that, but it's, it's funny. <laughs> well, right on. Well. uh up next is uh since it's not a live show anymore where this is the monday night archive of the antimedia.org radio show with nick burnaby he was one of our compadres uh you know uh at thing because you know we're independent media we're we're like journalists and stuff you know this is like you're you're harassing the press you know the real citizen press it's like uh it ain't cool so um yeah this is uh this is the anti-media radio with nick burnaby as the third hour of free thought radio on the free thought media network check it out at freethoughtmedia.org and hit up all the uh, previous podcasts there on the itunes link at the bottom of the page let us know what you think have a yeah, because I was like, yeah, that show that night. Mixed with some milestones, so I let the style flow down like the Dow Jones. Bringing it with some foul tones, letting the crowd know we getting loud. So it's eardrum rudiments. Yeah, we bring it rude again. Move little hooligan. Music for tuning in full time to the 10. I'm on my clock like I told you. I'm doing this for dreams we pursue. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Anti-Media Radio once again with your host, Nick Burnaby, here on UCY.TV. I'm also joined by my co-host, D.B. Schwartz. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And uh, before we get going, I'd like to say uh, impeach the government. Uh, yes, please. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. Oh, and, uh, uh, you know, if you guys have been steadily listening to us, you'll know that we had been um, brought into a... Uh, terrestrial radio station as of about a month ago. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> they decided to drop us because I guess we were talking a little too real for them. Oh. Yeah. So at least now we could t- we can say shit on the radio. Okay. Well then, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all kinds of cool stuff, crazy stuff going on today. Make sure you guys check out the antimedia.org. Um, check us out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, same time, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Um, Eastern time. And uh, check out our friends that have that are that have given us a chance. I don't know if we're still on there, but check out uh, the Liberty Radio Network, network LRN.FM, and three th- free 
thoughtmedia.org. Sorry, I'm getting tongue twisters tonight. Um, but that's my friend Alex's uh, website, and uh, Liberty Radio Network is out of the Shire in uh, New Hampshire, the free state. So uh, make sure you check them out, uh, follow their pages, bookmark their websites. Bookmark us here on ucy.tv so you can hear our show every uh, three days a week and get this, you know, let help let us help you break down the news and, um, you know, let's make sure that we're not falling for this BS um, stuff in the media like this whole duck quackery stuff, <laughs> which was a total, total, total distraction. And unfortunately, so many people bought into it. I even bought into it as well, partially. Kind of, um, because they tried to. The, the funny thing is, they tried to put the spin on it, and it had nothing to do with that at all. It's just when you work for a private corporation, they can fire you for whatever. They could have fired them for anything. So to choose this and try to make it into a civil liberties issue while they pass NDAA 14, which is, God, takes it to the next level even more than 2012 to 2013 did. Uh, we know that it's just like kind of like they spun a wheel and that's the distraction that came up or something, right? Exactly, man. It's kind of like when, when you know, they were throwing this whole Miley Cyrus twerking thing out there um, and then they pull in some crazy, you know, some crazy stuff after that, which was, you know, they were trying to start up this whole Syrian war thing. Right. You know, so um, we know now that whenever you see something like this, whenever you see some kind of media hype, and I mean, I, I was listening to Ground Zero Radio. I, I don't know if you ever listened to them. Um, but but they were they replayed all the news clips that talked about this duck dynasty and I shit I shit you not they were playing clips where you know it was just like a two second clip each it must have lasted like five minutes because so many <laughs> different news channels and news shows kept covering and covering and covering oh, yeah. and covering yeah. this this story it was a total distraction it was a total fabricated story media uh it was pure media hype and what do you know while everyone's debating this thing and everybody's splitting apart over you know who's wrong and who's right and what should have happened what shouldn't have happened they go and they pass the 2014 National Defense Authorization Act which all, which still includes provisions to indefinitely detain Americans without charge or trial and for all we know, we haven't seen it yet because they've blacked out the um, the minutes of the meeting, and they've also fast-tracked it, which means that they didn't really debate it, which is what they're also trying to do with the TPP. Uh, Jay Rockefeller put an amendment into the NDAA, and it's basically CISPA 3.0. And guess what, guys? While we were all talking about Duck Dynasty, CISPA went right into the books, and and, and we, we were too busy talking about what some redneck dude was saying – that should not affect any of our personal lives at all. It really doesn't. It doesn't affect it. I mean, this is obviously what the guy's thinking. He's from the Bible Belt. He invented a duck quacker. Did you really think he was going to have a different opinion than that? I mean, is this surprising to anybody? And the fact that this guy has his own show it just shows how retarded we are as a country. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that. For real. It's, it's, it, I'm sorry to use that term, but it's what we've become. Because this isn't even entertaining. This is actually mind-numbing. Where you watch this and you feel better about yourself, and these guys laugh their way to the bank. But the thing is, like, these guys are part of the system. They're part of the same system, willingly part of it. And they're millionaires because of it. And just don't buy into it. That's all I can say. I mean, the people that watch these shows are, are hopeless. They're helpless. We, we'll never reach them. So to get them even a little bit interested in civil liberties, I guess, is a win. But, I mean, these are the same people that are going to go to Walmart and blow their whole paycheck, you know. For Christmas, so it's just it's it's a, it's an illusion, like everything else, a big yeah. time illusion. 
Yeah, man. Just like this whole the whole society that we're in right now is basically one huge illusion. All right, we're we're getting a call. Um, let, let me go ahead and pull this in just to see who it is. We may have to hang up on them, but um, one second. How's it going? You're on the anti-media radio. Hey, what's what's going on, man? What do you want to talk about? Hello. Hello, you there? All right, we lost him. All right. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, this this whole thing that we're living on, living in right now, and and it, it hits home because I was out there on the streets today seeing it. Um, a lot of this stuff is based on the Federal Reserve, you know, and the 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 Fed is the pyramid scheme, and they're the people that they're the ones that changed everyone almost in the whole world into slaves, you know. Um, you know, Abraham during the time of Abraham Lincoln, slavery was was um. You know, abolished in the United States, but it didn't go away. It just they they just decided to start enslaving everybody through the monetary system, and now they're enslaving basically the whole world. Yeah, I mean, and it's taken generations and generations, and really, if you think about it, it's been very quick too. It's only been a hundred years, 1913 Federal Reserve Act. So it's only taken them maybe three generations to pretty much put everybody of any consequence under their thumb financially. And now I'm sure with the amount of intelligence they have, they can blackmail anybody into doing anything. And so it's almost impossible to stop the agenda unless it's like all of us just all have a consciousness shift, which is, you know, part of what me and you do, dude. It's when we talk, you know, on air and we get enough people to talk about this stuff, then it's exponential and it's a wildfire. Um, but that's really the only thing that'll stop it now because all the important people are all paid off or coerced or intimidated or you know they're 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 going along with it there's not really any big resistance anymore not even from china it looks like yeah man and and uh you know we went down there today a group of a group of activists I, I there was no more than about 12 of us at any given time we went down to the federal building we went down to the banks down in downtown san diego and and you know we're passing out information about the federal reserve and as i get there i'm walking up and this whole building the whole federal building in downtown is surrounded by DHS SUVs. The whole building, dude. They must have had, you know, 30 SUVs out there um, with who knows how many of these federal agents and cops. And then, you know, when we what we found out later, we go walking. We left the federal building. We walked down to the Chase Bank and the uh, the Wells Fargo headquarters and stuff. There was there was. Contractors following us around. These guys weren't even cops. They were contractors, dude. Jesus. And we go up to them. We're like, hey, you know, if you guys are federal agents, you have to, you know, announce that you're federal agents if we ask you, you know. And um, they're like, oh no, man, we're not, you know, you know, we're, not, we're, you know, who knows what we are? They, they just, they were just like, you know, we're not gonna say nothing. And they follow us everywhere we went. We go down one-way roads where you can't drive through, and somehow they know where we're gonna be at. We go to the, we went to the park after to have a meeting. After we all split ways, met back up at the park. And boom, they're there again. It's just like, where are these guys coming from? How do they know where we're at? It's insane. Yeah, I mean, well, it's unlimited resources at their disposal and CCTV cameras and anything else they need, you know, mosquito drones. I mean, you name it, they got it. And it's not even, you know, these are countryless people we're talking about. These aren't guys that came up and talked to you and, and were born and have loyalty for our way of life, dude. These are These are mercenaries, man. They just happen to be born and grew up here. But they're going to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder is always going to be the banks. And it's oh, yeah, all man. They, they, they literally – these guys literally were mercenaries. Of course they are. You know, they're like, countryless. And people that 
love this country need to realize that the people in charge don't have a country. They see that as a weakness. It's a, it, they love this division and this divide and conquer stuff because, oh, my God, is it so easy to control people along national lines. I mean, it's just another way, just like religion. I mean, just like sexuality even. They're making this whole, you know, anti-homo uh, sexual stuff this guy's saying into a big deal. And who cares what this redneck thinks? Would you think he's going to have a different opinion than that? I mean, so it's just another way. It's another avenue of control, like always. Nobody, nobody would care, but th- the fact is the media just grabbed that story and ran with it. Of course and, they did. And believe me, it, it wasn't uncoordinated. It wasn't just the media decided – they didn't – Fox News didn't wake up uh, uh, the other day and say, hey, maybe we should just blow this Duck Dynasty thing out of proportion. No. No, no what they did was they all had marching orders that said, okay, guys – Look, we, we, we were able to sneak this whole CISPA thing in without nobody really making a fuss, and it's about to get passed through the, through the NDAA. Let's go ahead and distract everybody so that they don't, they don't do anything drastic online that, that puts any pressure on us to remove this CISPA thing. But guess what? The, the fact that just once again, like we keep seeing, for every action, there's a reaction. And for the fact that they covered it up with this Duck Dynasty, it backfired on them. Look what we just did today. We and just, I just don't – I don't get why – these politicians are allowing or, you know, it has to be that they have leverage on them to allow these b- bills to pass because this stuff's tearing down everyone's privacy. I mean, the people at the top and these celebrities and stuff, I mean, honestly, if you really know your way around a computer now, you're going to be uh, absolutely untouchable with this new f- firewall they're going to put in because they're going to they're going to leave holes and back doors in there. And it's honestly going to make it ridiculously easy for hackers now. It sounds contradictory, but honestly, now me and you are hit with all these, you know, censorship type things. And anybody that knows what they're doing is going to see this as a ridiculous means of control over the populace at large. And it has nothing to do with security. I mean, didn't Target just have 40 million credit cards stolen? Target? I mean, this is a huge corporation that should be able to hire the best of the best. But the thing is, they really don't care. They just don't care about anybody's safety or security at all. It was never about that. Oh no, and and the other thing is that it's it's when these kind of things happen at a place like Target, it's beneficial to these to the establishment because then they have a reason to say, oh yeah, you guys don't don't like CISPA. Okay, well then you know your cards you are going to get stolen. Down. Yeah, your cards your card numbers are going to get stolen next time you go to Target, just like they just happened. Just so happened that the Target story came out. The same day that we found out the NDAA got passed. Of course, because the new security, system. yeah, security is going to go hand in hand with clamping down more police state, and and now it's going to go into the cybersecurity realm because that's honestly where we as a country are the most vulnerable. All right, but, we, got, we got a call coming in. Hey, how's it going? You're on the Anti Media Radio. How you doing? Sweet, that's awesome, guys. Um, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? NDAA, like, well, what is it exactly? Like, I, I've been hearing a lot about it, and I know they use the Duck Dynasty thing, like they used Miley's ass last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, what you want to go ahead and take that? It's it's yeah. it's actually a multi-pronged question, and it's got a yeah, lot of the, answers. Yeah, the NDAA is it's the National Defense Authorization Act, and it's passed every year. They've been passing it, I believe, since like the 50s. Um, but it wasn't until 2012 that they they decided to add a provision in the NDAA, which basically said that um, you can be arrested and held indefinitely, even in Guantanamo, if they wanted to, 
without charge or trial, basically gets rid of due process, and it, and it applies to American citizens as long as they as long as they basically say that you're an enemy combatant. Now the language is so vague that there's really no telling what an enemy combatant is, and it could actually be used on almost anybody. Um, and that's what makes the – that's that came into play in 2012, and right. they, they, they reauthorized it in 2013, and it looks like they're getting ready to reauthorize it in 2014. It passed through the House. It passed through the Senate. Now it just has to be signed by Barack Obama, which um, you know, there's been many times when we thought uh, Obama was going to veto something, and he didn't. So, uh, you know, chances are Obama's going to veto this thing unless we can really, really put a heavy amount of pressure on these guys. He won't veto it. He'll push it through. No, he'll speak it through. To. He, he's yeah, going to wait till Christmas Eve, or he's going to wait till New Year's. He last year he passed it out. He he signed it on New Year's, uh, uh, you know, like right before New Year's. So that's what they do is they do it on Christmas or they do it on New Year's, kind of like how they also did with the with the Federal Reserve uh, back in 1913. They passed the Fed into into law. Um, while well, all all of Congress was on Christmas break, so that's basically what they do. Um, now the other thing about the 2014 NDAA is that in all likelihood it contains CISPA 3.0. We haven't been able to confirm it 100%. Now what the heck is that? Now that is is uh, Dave. You want to get on that? Yeah. Um, pretty much in a nutshell, it's going to give the internet over to corporate control. So it's going to make it really simply something like if you have AT&T or you have Comcast for your internet provider, they're just going to simply not have an agreement with any websites they don't deem uh, beneficial to them, meaning anything independent like UCY.TV may not be able to be um, accessed through these corporate internets because they're just going to say, we don't have an agreement with them. And that way they'll just censor the internet based on who doesn't sign agreements with them. Yeah, it's it's all about censorship. It's all about copyright. They'll be able to pull down a bunch of websites and Facebook yep. pages and social media outlets and things like that. It's 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 another power grab, and it's being it's being um it's being spearheaded by Jay Rockefeller, which is the same guy. You know, first of all, he's a Rockefeller. Oh, um, fucking rich. Man. Yeah. Second exactly. of all, um, he's also the same guy uh, a few years ago under the Bush administration. Like it, by the way. <laughs> A few years ago, under the Bush administration, he he he's on record saying that he thinks that the the internet basically should have never existed because it provides too big of a problem for the government. Oh, it does. Um, so so this is the same guy. Now he's putting forward a bill that is supposed to quote unquote protect the internet. It's the same guy that that you know is saying that the internet should have never existed. So it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, that's kind of backwards if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep, definitely not for me and you. It's for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who 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 in their right mind would think that Jay Rockefeller had was looking out for the little guy, or looking out for the middle class, or looking out for the the general population? Jay Rockefeller is a one percenter. I mean, he's he's looking out it's for the billionaires. He's looking yeah. out for the you know the billionaires, and he's looking out for the the guys that basically pull all the strings in the government, pull all the corporate strings. And, uh, their, lo- their loyalty is to those who enable them. It's quite simple, honestly. The United States government is not—it's not broken. It's just purchased. Yep, I, I would say it works purely. Uh, you know, one of the most effective governments ever for who it's for. You know, uh, there's a reason why wealthy people from around the world move to America. You know, it's one of the best places you can launder your money. <laughs> All right, man. We're gonna have to let you go. We got a we got another call coming in. No problem, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for having calling. Me. Thank you.
Hey, how's it going? You're on the anti-media. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Hey, what do you want to talk about? Um, well, basically, I wanted to uh, make sure that, uh, I don't know, I guess I have a little bit of a concern in the back of my head that uh, we're becoming anti-rich or anti-business when uh, we need to understand where the the fine line between good and bad is, <clears throat> the fine line between uh, those in power who are, uh, you know, bad and those who are, you know, good. And I think it's really, it's a really fine line that we're crossing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to get into a point where it's going to be fashionable to punish the rich. And the funny thing is it's they're they're just going to reallocate resources and make it appear that, we're all sharing it like a global communist system, but whoever's in a government type position is obviously going to be like a trillionaire since they'll be in control of vast resources. So yeah, it's all part of that plan. You know, let's smear the successful small business owner because he's paying his employees a minimum wage. He should be paying him a living wage. You know, it's all class warfare. It's just more and more distraction. And you're right. It, it, that's part of the inevitable black, uh, backlash to all this. The way I see it is, the way I see it is that is that um, you know, uh, being legitimately rich through free enterprise and through through the free market is 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 perfectly fine and moral. Um, the problem is 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 when you become you know so big that you that you start to influence the government and you start lobbying to to change laws like the people that own, uh, for instance, General Electric or Exxon Mobil. I mean I mean uh, these are companies that are corporate welfare. Uh, excuse my language, whores. And and they use the oh, government yeah. to make themselves into you know multi billionaires and and things like that. Now I mean there may be a few good billionaires out there, but in general to get that obscenely rich, most of the time you have to use the government to your advantage in order to manipulate the marketplace and to stifle competition. You know and that's that's a huge problem. And and I think any any property any business that comes into place like Monsanto like Goldman Sachs. Where they're they're huge crony um, corporate welfare uh, companies, you know these these companies need to be dismantled and and be, they need to be dealt with, you know. But, but well, they don't serve a purpose to the higher good because they're not increasing quality and lowering price. They're actually lowering quality to nothing. And, and increasing that's what price. You see, yeah, and they're and they will increase price when they squeeze out all competition. Then you're at their whim, so they can give you the crappiest stuff and charge you, you know, two thousand, three thousand percent on it. We should ask Jay Rockefeller about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. that. Corporate welfare is a huge problem, um, especially when you've got a company that is more than capable of starting off, you know, expanding or whatever it is they want to do. Uh, you know, capitalism in its own obviously requires capital. So I can understand the desire to allocate capital in a different market or in a different place with resources that, you know, where it's necessary. But I think the the falsification of it or the the bad part of it is where they use that as a ploy, you know, to say, hey, we're going to give you jobs, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you that in exchange for taking your tax dollars and and putting it over here when rightfully I should be able to decide where my tax dollars go and what company I want to give my tax dollars to, you know, whether or not I, I want to help that company, you know, we vote with our dollars. So if I want to help that company, I would do that by purchasing their product and by right. continuing to support them, not by getting money taken out of my paycheck before I even see it and it automatically being given to them 
you know, before I can even decide whether or not it's good or bad. It's the same concept with war. It's the same concept with social welfare, corporate welfare, any form of welfare. It, it, it's the same idea, you know, and people always get all huffy and puffy when personally I like to say that I'm against welfare. People always get huffy and puffy and think, oh, you're you're against you're against, you know, the single woman who works three jobs and, you know, needs food stamps to feed her children. No, that's not what I'm against. What I am against is my money getting taken out before I get to see it and given to the same person who may or may not have, be working, may or may not actually need those food stamps, and may or may not be using that welfare for a good cause. But I don't know that because my money's taken with the threat of force. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I mean, um, you know, theft is theft and coercion is coercion. You know, whether it's whether it's the government taking your money and sending it to a dictatorship in in uh, Israel or Egypt, or whether they're taking your money and forcing you to pay for a welfare program that you don't believe in. Um, I, I I mean, I think uh, taxes themselves should be uh, voluntary if if you want to participate in the government system. But uh, even welfare, I mean, um, you know. How more? How much more effective would welfare actually be if we didn't have this huge government bureaucracy in the way? If people were just, if they didn't have to pay all these taxes and they were able to just pay to help uh, people that were in need directly, if they can just right. take yeah, their, over a hundred years ago, we called that charity. I think. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. and that's what we need to get back to. Is where we get back to uh, where it's not being forced out of our hands and we're just giving it um, because because people need it and we want to help. And you know, there's no – listen, there's no real need for the state. The only reason the state exists is the military. That's it. If we didn't fight, if we had no wars, we wouldn't need the state. That's it because then we'd just cooperate on a regional level. We'd get things done where we needed them done in our communities, and that would be it. That's you know, it's very always true. I can the, agree with that. I, I agree with it because, honestly, if we didn't have the threat of China or Russia attacking us or somebody taking us over, then we could take care of everything regionally. Right, right here in our cities and our communities. But I like to think that if that is even a threat at all, you know, is that really a threat? It's time. Do you personally know anybody in China who wants to kill you? I don't. Do no, you know anybody? Not at all. Do you pers <laughs> Do you personally know any insurgents? You ever seen? There's a skit that Cat Williams, the comedian, does, and he asks, you know, do you know any insurgents? They use a right. term that people can't readily identify: insurgents. Because we don't know what that is, you know. Nobody knows an insurgent. That's just a term that we use to describe a specific group of people who are blowing things up. But for what reason? They're not blowing. They're not blowing me up. They're not blowing, you know, things up. They use the they use 9/11 as the excuse, of course. But when we really look at it, why are they attacking our bases in the Middle East? Why are they attacking our soldiers out there? They're attacking them just because they're there because of what they're doing out there, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, Not exactly. I mean, you they got, hate you our have, freedom. Yeah, exactly. So you have like – so you have two things. You have blowback from all of our terrible foreign policy, our illogical foreign policy, which is a huge waste of money, huge waste of time, and a huge waste of lives. Um, think of all the all of our young guys that are coming back you know, in caskets, and even worse, they're coming back with – um, my own, my own brother went to Afghanistan, and and guess what? He's got now he got PTSD. Now he's got schizophrenia. Um, I mean, there is there are hundreds of thousands of guys um, now that are veterans that are mentally ill, and a lot of the people that are on the streets, a lot of the homeless are are many of them are Vietnam veterans. Many of them are veterans of of foreign wars. You know, this stuff destroys everything in our society. All this foreign policy, and then you got the other side of it, and it's the same thing in this country. It's the government of China. It's the government of Russia. It's the government of Iran. It's the government of Israel. 
the people love each yep. other. The Israeli people and the Iranian people, they love each other. They're, they are very nice people, and they care for each other. But it's their governments that are bad. Just like here in the U.S., we have good people, but our government is terrible. You know, and they well, take yeah, advantage exactly. of it, you have to think of the world like this. There's a bunch of elites, and they run countries, and they have parties when they're not having wars. That's all you got to think. That's the whole right. world in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, I believe it was uh, – I don't know if it was Woodrow Wilson. It was, it was one of those presidents who said that it's merely politicians sending uh, – you know the the lower and middle class to war to fight you know their problems and their arguments and their disagreements because you know you're not killing you know soldiers are not killing other people in other countries because they personally have feelings against them you don't know you know what his name is where he came from what he does you know you're you and your civilian life you're a a farmer or you know you work in business whatever it is you do in your civilian life and that person in their civilian life does something also peaceful generally you know generally people in their civilian lives are peaceful assuming that most people aren't criminals obviously which i believe but if, um if that you was know, uh, everybody if, does something if that was something, something that, peaceful uh, and you know we all get along yep if that was uh, something Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson said, then Obama must be taking a page out of his book because um, he's the guy that, that got us into World War I. Uh, mm-hmm, you know. yep. Hey, we got another caller yep. on the line. We're going to have to let you go so we can take this other call. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hey, thanks for calling in. Thanks for calling, man. No problem. Hey, how's it going? Are you there? Hey, guys. How you doing? This is Andrew Pomper on calling. Hey, how's, how's it going? going, man? You're live on the Anti-Media Radio. How you doing, bro? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Pretty good, man. Doing well, uh, doing well. Andrew's one of the uh, independent journalists that helped us helped us get the word out for this impeach the government uh, Twitter bomb, man. I, thank you so much for that. And and he also broke the story on the Senate passing the NDAA, man. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing. It's uh, like like you were talking about earlier. It's the same uh, same tactics they used uh, last year, you know, with with New Year's. And I was actually on a local TV show. And I made a joke about how, you know, Obama's the party boy, the New Year's Eve party boy, partying away, uh, signing away our rights under the NDAA. So exactly what they did. So you think he's going to try to pull the same thing this year on New Year's or on Christmas night or what? Uh, I think they had sufficient, you know, a sufficient cause with the Duck Dynasty thing to kind of push it through the Senate. But I'm sure he'll be signing it right around New Year's, definitely. So I guess we can expect the uh, Jersey Shore rehash coming at the uh, beginning of the year, and some other crap's going to get pulled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like Nick said earlier, they they always do it right around this time of year because, you know, Congress, you know, members of Congress aren't there. They're away for Christmas break, and people are so distracted by their consumerism and everything else. So. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, what better way to distract people than with that and then shopping, and then they don't care that they're uh, now uh, – having everything in their lives recorded forever to be used at a specific date. I mean, it's like this whole NSA thing got swept under the rug as soon as the whole Duck Dynasty thing came out, you know? It's like it's like why why are people so fickle, you know? And I, and I, and I posted it uh, earlier this week on my profile. I'm like, damn, people really do watch too much TV because they get so hyped up on this stuff. Um and then you can see it online with everybody posting about this Duck Dynasty, but believe me, you know, that all that all that um all those talking points that whole debate came out of the uh, TV networks, and then it and then it it, it uh, spilled over online, you know. Well, of and course. and like uh, I think me and you were talking about it a little bit um, because what ends up happening is the narrative gets put, you know, set by the mainstream media, you know, and then what they do is they put it out there, and then the alternative media, you know, in an attempt to kind of you know, 
you know, just say, look, don't pay too much attention to this. What ends up happening is people pay attention to it and kind of give it credibility. <clears throat> and that's in the alternative media because they're trying to say, hey, look, this is, you know, this is not that important. But then what it ends up doing is causing people to actually talk about it even more. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and and it just the lines get blurred so quickly, you know, and I, 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 I'm guilty of it myself. You know, I, I, you know, I made a few comments on it and it, the, the, the arguments on my page turned so bad that I had to delete the whole post because it was such a divisive <laughs> thing. But, um, you know, it, it, it's really sad that that everyone is so fickle and that everyone is, is willing to just forget about this the entire government just screwing basically the whole world i mean you americans can hardly go abroad anymore without people thinking that we're just some yankee um you know uh imperialist um bastards anymore you know and you go, most tourists are, are happy to, to play into that stereotype i'm sad to say but when i was yeah, traveling yeah. people would tell me you're american you're awesome like they expected me to be a real douche and they must get that all the time. They're like, honestly, besides Europeans, Americans are the biggest pieces of shit usually. They would tell me that all the time. They say, you guys tip, but you're you're stupid, fat, and lazy. And they're like, you're the coolest guy we've met. And, like, we have that reputation now, despite being a huge country, huge with every type of person you could ever imagine. We're going to get all lumped in because it's the media. Like always, the media, the media, the reality shows. Reality shows are watched all around the world, and people think we are those people. Yep. Well, one thing that I kind of really want to talk about real quick, re the reason a lot of this goes on, which a lot of people don't understand, and when they hear me say it, <clears throat> I know Nick may, may have seen me talk about it, but a lot of people aren't going to understand what I'm talking about. But the reason the NDAA, you know, the TPP, and, and all these bills come about is because, in my opinion, it goes back to the 14th Amendment. And if I can just read it here so you can get what I'm saying, it's, you know, Section 1 says, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and, and of the state wherein they reside. So <clears throat> without reading the rest of the whole, you know, first section, the key word is subject, okay? So when they made everyone citizens, it wasn't like you were saying earlier about the Civil War, you know, freeing slaves. They didn't really free anybody. What they did is they, they drew up the 14th Amendment to make everybody uh, voluntary, you know, invo or voluntary servitude, basically. Right. So, yeah, they got rid of forced slavery. That's your birth certificate. Amendment, yeah, they erased it because before the Civil War, the United States was not recognized as a country. You know, through the law of nations and all that, it was not recognized as a country. It, each state was a country. So what you did essentially is you put up the president in power of the entire country, you know, which obviously over time spread to 50 states. And what that did is it uh, basically made him a dictator through corporations because only a few years after the 14th Amendment was passed is when they changed the definition of persons to mean a corporation. You know, so it's a lot harder for states to, you know, hear what people are saying when the, the representatives are working for corporations. You know, so everything is a national law, the National Defense Authorization Act. <clears throat> so my, my whole thing is basically saying that U.S. citizenship is the problem. If you're a U.S. citizen, which goes into the Federal Reserve, um, you, are, you are bound to the debt. You know, you're an accomplice. So I'm trying to <laughs> kind of raise awareness about that. 
we were out today protesting the Fed, um, and it was only about me and ten guys, and they had these federal police out there, you know, and yeah. um, and they 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 were there. They had their SUVs surrounding the federal building in downtown San Diego, and they had a ton of people. Out. I mean, I, I can't even count the number of agents were out there. We tried to give we we got a few words out of them. I got a couple videos. I got to edit and post. But this is the thing that 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 really tripped me out. We left the federal building and we walked across the street to the other block. We went around the block and we went over to the bank. We went over to the Chase Bank and we were chalking. Um, we had a few people that were were you know doing this chalkupy thing where they were writing messages on the street talking about the Fed and what the Fed does and the banking you know and and the foreign policy and how the foreign policy is funded through the Fed and all that stuff. And these federal cops followed us over there, and we weren't on federal property anymore. The federal cops come over, and they start giving us a hard time. They start telling us that we need to get off the sidewalk, that we can't be chalking on the sidewalk. They were trying to tell us that we had to back away from the building and get into the street and all this stuff. I'm like, what are these federal police doing in our streets, right. dude? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Backwards. It's completely backwards. Washington, D.C., and, and and the government in D.C. is a foreign government. In law, it's actually a foreign government. The states actually still have the power. <clears throat> like you know, if I if my local town votes on a bill and they pass it, <clears throat> and the next town over says, "Hey, that's a pretty cool idea," and they pass it, you know what that ends up doing is it it, it gains power and can be brought forth into the state represent you know representation. But under this feudalism, this Fourteenth Amendment system. That's why we have federal police officers, the militarization of police, the NDAA. You know, uh, under the 14th Amendment, that's the only reason why people go to federal prison. There would be no federal prison uh, with the U.S. citizenship status. So that, I, well, I, I virtually go back to that every time. Well, it's time to repeal that, and we're going to have to add in a new, a new one. And we're going to have to go back to natural, the natural rights, natural laws. Exactly. And go back to that as, uh, you know, personhood and corporatism are going to have to be forcibly separated. Hey, Andrew, are you familiar with uh, Dan Johnson of Panda Unite or uh, People oh, Against yeah, the NDAA? Yeah. You're actually, that's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. Well, maybe there's a way that we can go through locally and, and base, more or less nullify the 14th Amendment at the local level. Because you know it's so hard to try to go through Congress because these guys are so corrupt and like you said they're they're ser they're servants of the corporation, you know if we can go through the local level maybe there's a way that we can get this this Fourteenth Amendment nullified. For me personally, I'm I'm actually expatriating. I'm going to be rescinding my birth certificate, my social security number, and I'm actually going to rescind my U.S. citizenship, and I'll be I'll be what's known as a state national or a state citizen. Um, so, I mean, that's one way to do it. It's a lot of paperwork and, and all that. But I think if more people started doing that, you wouldn't even have to necessarily, you know, nullify or do anything like that. Because if enough people are not recognizing, the it's called a de facto government, which means not in fact, you know, basically. So if people are not recognizing, you know, the make-pretend government in D.C., <clears throat> we can actually start to form smaller alliances, you know, in, in each state. Yep, and I'm sure it's only just going to begin what's going to become the march of secession, because a lot of countries are a lot of countries are should I say states are going to realize that they're running, you know, negative budgets because they're having to pump into a Fed that's not giving them back nearly what they gave us. Like California is the perfect example. We're in a budget crisis on a state level, but 
if we didn't have to give so much to the Fed, we'd actually be running, uh, you know, on a, a nice little extra amount every year. So, California has the opportunity to be a very wealthy state, or yes. what I call a country. I, I, exactly. I'm starting to refer to states as countries now. Yeah. I, I don't like the whole nationalistic idea, but I think it's better better than the federal, you know, corporate system. Right. California has a big opportunity. Um, you know, not even to say secession, but to say, you know, California nationals are not part of the foreign, you know, Washington, D.C. corporate government known as the United States, you know. Right. Perfect. And Let the East California, Coast be part of that. <laughs> right. California has a lot of advantages because of how, how big it is. It's on the Pacific, you know, minus Fukushima. But, you know, it's, it's things like this, these new ideas, uh, I think are really powerful and people are starting to take heed to them. Hey, so uh, what do you think about this this uh, impeach the government uh, Twitter storm going viral? I think it's pretty great. I mean, I, I I went on and I was looking at the hashtag, and there's a bunch of people. You can tell that they weren't really part of the the yeah. you know event, but they're just saying, I can't believe it. People are finally waking up. Impeach the government is going is trending on Twitter right now, you know. And to me, it's it's part of this battle of the minds. It's part of undermining um, the you know for one the mainstream media, of course, but um, we also have to undermine the the whole idea of government and people, you know, people are starting to realize, look, we don't need these guys. And at the very most, we can govern ourselves locally at the community level, at the state level. And the federal government is nothing but problems. Everybody's starting to realize it finally, you know, and, and it's just a matter of can we put the action in play where people can actually take 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 initiative like you're doing um, by opting out of this whole system. Can we get these ideas in motion and get them going mainstream, you know? Yeah, I think, and I think we can. I mean, for me, I just tell people, look, like, like my mother and my family says, well, oh, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you can't get a job, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I say, well, of course I can because I apply myself in knowing the law. If you know the law and you know how it works, then you can, you know, actually use it to your benefit. So my benefits are I, I can be responsible. You know, I can not have Social Security, which means I don't. I'm also not obligated to the debt by using Federal Reserve notes. Well, of course, that gets complicated with, you know, how do I use money? Because you can't just use gold and silver for normal transactions, but, you know, it, there's there's ways to say, look, listen, I'm going to be proactive. You know, I'm going to do my small part. And if my message is well-received, other people will do it, you know, other people will do it as well. You know, because I don't, personally, I don't want my family being responsible for the debt when this whole system comes crashing down because that's what FEMA's for. That's what the FEMA camps are for. That's what the NDAA is for. It's so that they can legally come to your house and say, oh, you don't have, you know, $10 trillion? Well, guess what? You have to go to Africa and mine some diamonds, you know, slave labor. And that's essentially what being a U.S. citizen entitles because you are part of that obligation. To the exactly. You are not a person if you were born here and have a, a birth certificate. Look at the bank note on the bottom right corner. You're traded. You're collateral. That's all you are. Yeah, you're a subject. And, and I'll read the definition of subject from Black's Law Dictionary. It says, one that owes allegiance to a sovereign and is governed by his laws. The natives of Great Britain are subjects of the British government. Men in free governments are subjects as well as citizens. As citizens enjoy the rights of franchises. As subjects, they are bound to obey the laws. <clears throat> the term is little used in this sense in countries enjoying a Republican form of government. And that's what we had before the Civil War. And when I say Republican form of government, I don't mean, <laughs> like, 
Republican and Democrat. A Republican form of government is completely different than a Republican we have now. Yeah, yeah, you mean like a Republican form of democracy. Right. Representative democracy. Yeah, and now we... Local community, you know, that idea. And, and you know, now we have, we basically don't have any representation, you know. Now that they, they forcibly take so much of our money and our taxes and they use it for things that we don't like. We use it, they use it for, for starting up these wars, for giving money to dictators. Um, you know, if these people were representing us, they'd, they'd look out for our interests. And what are they doing? They're, they're sending our children down this, 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 uh, slippery slope of debt. I mean, all of our children are born with about 50 grand worth of debt now. Any newborn child is, is born, uh, already bonded into debt. Our, our kids going to school, our kids going to college are forced into these huge, huge government loans that they can't even get out of through bankruptcy. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it ties back into the Fed. And, you know, today is the, is the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve. And one big thing that we talked about today at our, at our, uh, and the Fed rally in San Diego was, uh, alternative currencies. And, and, you know, Bitcoin is huge right now because it's gone mainstream. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's always physical currency, gold and silver. And then there's always commodity like, like, um, food. Garden, a garden is a huge, huge form of currency, a form of commodity, you know? And there's always Dogecoin. <laughs> Doggy coin. <laughs> <laughs> we can call it Dogecoin. Come on, it, we got it. We got to let people know it's a little different. We can't have copyright infringement with the new uh, CISPA being passed. Yeah. So even the CCP has a little bit of that language. So Andrew, did you hear anything more? Have you been able to find out for sure about this CISPA thing? Did it go in the the Rockefeller Amendment? Did it go through, or or was it taken out? I'm pr I mean, since it was fast tracked, which means you know if, if the bill if the NDA was fast tracked, means there wasn't much of a debate. You know, which means there wasn't much time to, you know, pull anything out or add anything to it. Um, I know John McCain was mad because it, it we, um, it didn't authorize nuking of uh, Iran yet. Yeah. But, but uh, have you heard anything more about this this CISPA 3.0 yet? No, actually, I haven't. I, I haven't really seen anything come from it. I know people are looking into it, and I, I actually did see an article earlier, but I didn't even read it because I was actually doing like all the, all the Twitter storm articles and everything else, but. I have a feeling that it's either going to be incorporated or it did get incorporated with the NDAA or they're going to push it through the TPP because the TPP has that same uh, protocol for the IP or the ISPs to say, okay, you guys are going to be monitoring uh, your customers. You know, they're, you know, the ISPs are going to basically be the police of the Internet. So if you post something that's deemed uh, copyright infringement, you know, they can take you – take it down or, or shut you off, basically. But they're, they're the corporate police now, and that's what I saw in the TPP. Um, so I don't know if they're going to do that with the NDAA or, you know, keep it with the TPP. I'm not really sure. I mean, one thing, one thing is for sure is that they're trying to – they're, they're, one thing for sure is that they're trying to round this thing through, whether it's going to be a Lamar Alexander CISPA bill or if it's going to be Jay Rockefeller's cybersecurity. And it's so Orwellian um, the way that they talk about this stuff because, you know, Jay, Ro Jay Rockefeller is a huge enemy of the Internet. And he introduces a bill that's supposed to protect the, the uh, integrity of the Internet, you know, and it's total doublespeak. Everything they're saying is, is, is basically the complete opposite of what they're meant to do. Just like when I saw the cops today and I asked them, I was like, hey, guys. Why are you standing on bank property? 
Why are the police on bank property? Aren't you guys supposed to be protecting the public? Aren't you supposed to be protecting our rights and our liberty? Why are oh. you standing with the banks, and why are you not standing with us on our side protecting our First Amendment rights? And police they, officers now, they went from protecting life and liberty to protecting property and keeping order. And that's an official mandate that's changed. You know, that's, a, that's officially changed, and that's why the new breed of cop coming out doesn't even see people as people anymore. That's why it's okay to beat them, because... God forbid they they upset the status quo with anything. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's not that's another problem that we're having. A lot of these, you know, I mean, when you go to the Capitol, when you go to D.C., and you even try talking to those guys, it's like it's almost a wasted effort. But uh, when I went, I actually went to the Million Mass March, and I went to the very front of the line. And we, when we went up to the Capitol itself, I ran up to the gate to like be like the first one up there, and I was chatting with one of the Capitol Police, and, like, you could tell, like, I was, I mean, I was going off, like, deep in the stuff, and he was just, like, smirking out of one side of his mouth, and then one of his, one of his supervisors came over, he's like, hey, you gotta leave, <clears throat> because he saw him smirking. So even they get disciplined if they start to show, like, any, any sign of resistance. It's just amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, they're gonna be the first guys to get chipped, too. I don't know if all these guys understand this. These DHS guys and all these people part of the security apparatus they're getting shipped right now I, I can almost pretty much guarantee that they can't have any of these guys show any human emotion or or try to change the outcome at the end of, well, of all funny, this it's funny the national id card remember that whole thing yeah that, that that was supposed to be implemented on government officials before anybody you of know, course we're over here we're yelling and screaming about it saying hey you know they're going to do this national id card thing which never really happened you know officially but they were supposed to be the ones that were getting chipped and carded and, you know, be part be part of that system before us, and they were calling us conspiracy theorists. So, like, no, no, it's going to happen to you first. Oh, yeah. It's there already, and I'm sure maybe they don't even know. But I, they're not allowing any of these guys off any leash they can put on them. That's for sure. Well, if you've gotten a passport in the last couple of years like I have, then you got you already got the chip on you. Yep. <laughs> Because yep, it, it, it says it says it right there on the back cover. Do not uh, subject this to magnetic or any other uh, field because there's sensitive electronics embedded in this passport. It's like, okay to oh, go okay. swimming with it, though. Don't worry about it. You can jump in the ocean. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, today was so hypocritical. We, we got so much shit from these federal cops. And then, uh, you know, I, I got done asking the federal cops why they were standing on the bank side instead of standing with us. And then, you know, that like I was saying earlier on the show, I don't know if you caught it, but there were these, there were contractors following us around. And I don't know if they were Blackwater or if they were, you know, Blackwater's been rebranded. I don't know what they were, but we asked them what they were and they were, they, they didn't tell us, but they told us that they weren't government agents. And um, they were, when we got to in front of Chase Bank, they came up and parked on the street in a three-minute loading zone. They parked in the three-minute loading zone in downtown San Diego. You don't do that. You know, you get a ticket. If you're there for more than five minutes, you get a ticket. You know, and these guys are sitting there. We're there for about 30 minutes. I go up to the cops, and I say – there were some city cops there as well, and I go up to the cops, and I'm like, hey, guys, you know, there's, there's some guys over there in a gray car that have been sitting in that three-minute loading zone for about half an hour now, and they're breaking the law. And and the cops are like, oh man, you know, we can't do nothing about it. And they they were just like, no, we're not going to do nothing about it, you know. And it's like not, these right. guys aren't even government agents; no, they're they're the contractors. Contractors, the contractors just have like complete immunity. Like I can deal with local cops, state cops, you know, federal cops are a whole other story. But 
when you start talking about these contractors, they don't have allegiance to anything. The only thing they have allegiance to is their paycheck. And to relate that to the Federal Reserve, uh, earlier this year when the Boston bombing happened, I went to Boston to like try to get in and cover it. And I was, of course, I was blocked by like, you know, they wouldn't let me through because I didn't have proper credentials. But when everything wrapped up and I was going to go home, because I live like, you know, 60 miles west of Boston, basically I went down to South Station in Boston and it was like midnight and uh, <laughs> kind of a crazy story and most people didn't believe me at first. But so the whole, the whole city of Boston was completely dead. There was no cops anywhere. And on the news, they said that the train was open. So we go down there to go to, you know, get, go to get on the train, but it was closed off. Everything was locked. So I'm like, oh, what the hell, you know? So I get in my buddy's car. I'm like, yeah, I'll just stay at your house. Well, the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston is right next to South Station. So the whole city's, you know, completely dead. Nobody's around, no cops. But there's three guys <laughs> in all black wearing black ski masks. You can't see their, you know, you, don't, you can only see their eyes. And they're wearing all black, black ski masks, the M16, standing in front of the Federal Reserve. And I was like, wow, this is it. You know, this is a perfect example. So I stuck my camera out the, out the window, and he's, like, looking at me like, I'm going to shoot you, you know. <laughs> so, of course, my camera was, like, dead, so I didn't get to get that on camera. But I got, like, three people to vouch for me. It was just insane. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's insane, man. I mean, I mean, uh these guys are not doing their jobs anymore. You know, they, um, I kept seeing these same cops. They kept walking by us. And when we were, when we were on our way back to our cars, we were going to go meet up at a park nearby and have a little meeting and figure out what our next move was going to be. And, um, the cops walked by and I, and I told them, I was like, look, you guys took an oath to office that said you're going to protect against enemies, you know, foreign and domestic. And, and there are domestic enemies right now spying on us citizens and passing treasonous legislation, I'm like, you guys are looking at the wrong people. You're looking at us, 10 guys that are activists trying to fight for your money and fight for your rights. You're looking at us like the criminals when you should be up in Washington, D.C. arresting Obama, Bernanke, uh, John Boehner, and all these other guys that voted for the National Defense Authorization Act. And but they, they won't. Like they're crazy. You know, like I'm they're crazy. not going to be able to do it. They're not going to have the backing to do it until everybody goes out on the street and gets mad, man. And then, and then they'll do the right thing. I know for a fact from listening to other radio stations and, and stuff like that and reading that, you know, the military is not behind what's going on, dude. They're just waiting for the people to tell them to stop it. The people have to tell them to stop it. They're ready to go. Well, we have, you know, our government is a reflection of us, you know, and our, the people that are leading this country, you know, Barack Obama, it, it's, it's, he's just like us. He's a fickle, fickle politician that just wants money. And 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 fame, and power, and it's a reflection of, of us. So you know, partially what's going on in, in the in the country, the state of the government, the fact that they're able to spy on us. It's part of it is because we're so afraid of one another. We want the government to come and protect us. You know, you know, half the people in this country don't even care that the spying. I, I ran it. We ran into a guy today out on the street, and and I was talking to him, and he's like, Oh no, there's. They got, this guy literally said it. They're spying on us for our own good. I, I shit you not. He said it to me, and I was just like, okay, man. I'm like, but you know that you're not a terrorist, are you? He's like, no. I'm like, well, why are they spying on you then? I'm like, what, why are they spying on every single person? Don't you care about your privacy? And he's just like, no, no, I don't care. They're doing it for our own good. I'm like, okay. You should be like, sweet, dude. So you don't mind like if I follow you with a camera and, 
and, and, and I'm going to film you in the shower and all that. I'll put it up on the internet later for your safety. That way we can tell no one's in your house or whatever, and you're going to feel great, man. Hey, Andrew, stay on the line here. We got another call. They may have a question for you or, or something. Hey, how's it going? You're on the anti-media radio. Can you hear me? Hi, this is Alyssa. How are you? Hey, how's Alyssa, it how's it going? Uh, good, good. I just hopped off Twitter. This Twitter bomb's been going on all day. Um, so we had impeached the government trending for a while today, but it mysteriously hopped off of the trends, even though it appears to be getting a lot more traction. It's really strange how these things work in terms of creating a narrative around our rights. Yeah, I went on Twitter and I looked at the hashtag and there's like a bunch of people on there that are just like, oh my God, I can't believe uh, Impeach the Government is trending. There's actually hope for humanity and things like that. Um, if you guys don't know, uh, Alyssa is one of our one of the people that helped us get this thing going today. It was actually, I, it was your idea, wasn't it? To do this whole Twitter um, bomb thing? I, I never really know where these things come from. I think they come a lot from collective frustration. So it's like, I might say like, oh, we should have this Twitter thing trend, but it's, it's so much more than just me. I think we had been talking about the NSA spying scandal a lot. And then NDAA 2014 broke on that Friday. And it went from, we should talk about, seriously talk, have a conversation about impeaching Obama because he's basically invaded like over 302 million people's privacy. And then it was like, oh, and they recodified indefinite detention. <laughs> like, so it's like, it's really the whole government that's the problem. And so that's kind of how it came about. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, maybe you can share with our audience a bit about how we got this whole thing going. And, and I mean, trending on Twitter is pretty big. I think, you know, I think when millions of people probably see something when it trends on Twitter. So um, what I was seeing in, in some of these uh, tweets was that, you know, people were seriously like, like I was just saying, they're like, oh, my God, uh, uh, the hashtag uh, impeach the government is trending. Like people actually know what the hell's going on now. And there's there's seriously hope for humanity. So, uh, you know, to me, that's just a validation of, of the strength of the alternative media and and um, what we can do and how we can change the narrative and how we can influence it. And just like with the no war with Syria, I know you were huge in L.A., um, um, Alyssa is a, is a really uh, effective activist up in L.A. I, I actually got to meet her in person a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they had a media workshop up in L.A. And obviously the stuff we talked about in the media workshop worked out today, um, which is cool. But um, she also helped us with the March Against Monsanto, and, and they're doing a lot of big things up in L.A. Um, but but um, maybe you can uh, talk to our audience and, and give us some uh, – Good news about about how you know a single voice or how how a, an alternative journalist can can you know make an impact on the the national narrative and the national conversation. Yeah, I mean, it really was a combination of efforts. It was it was a couple people being really frustrated and having this idea and reaching out to other alternative journalists and kind of I think the media workshop was part of it with people coming to, together collectively and seeing everything that people had grown, but not everyone was working together or understanding why. So as people sort of create, you know, these alliances or, or they reach out to other people in alternative media, they're able to do things like have this trend on Twitter, which, I mean, it basically required reaching out to people, creating pop propaganda, creating an 
like invent, invite, and having a relevant topic that you know that people want to talk about. I mean, like how many times are we going to see like all superficial stories in the trend zone? But lately there's been, I think, more socially conscious things happening, which made it a little bit more timely. Like you had like the had, has just seen landed yet trend happening that was regarding racism, but there's a huge global issue happening right here that is, it, 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 that's part of it, but it's so much bigger. And so when you say impeach the government, basically everybody that has been watching what's going on and saying this problem's too big, this problem's too big, well, it's so big that maybe we need to reconsider the structure of what's going on. All right. Came on that's board. Our, uh, and so that, that's our music. Thanks for calling <laughs> in. Thank thanks you for, for your work in. today and everything, and thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on. Uh, we'll see you guys on uh, Wednesday and Friday. Thanks again for tuning in. Freethoughtmedia.org. This is a weekly podcast. Probably going to take it a little bit mellow for the rest of the holiday, but we'll be back. Freethoughtmedia.org. Peace.